Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of the podcast is with my cousin Damon Corso, author, photographer, you know, you name it, he's done it. Videos for Lego, grower. He is a man of many talents. In this episode, we go over some of the stuff that happened in his life, some of the stuff that happened in our lives together. We get into conspiracies later, current affairs. This episode is like a hallucinogen. It starts off slow and slowly builds into something beautiful. I hope you guys enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Esoteric Gladiator. I am your host, Jeremy Lipsy, and I'm joined with a special de- uh, guest today, my cousin, Damon. Cousin. Cousin. Poop Ninja. What's up, cousin? So he is Damon Corso. He's an author, a Lego maniac, a climber, a hiker. Photographer, bro. Photographer, uh, possibly a ganja grower, and all kinds of other crazy stuff. And uh, he came up here to uh, Washington for a uh, month on a special side project. Uh, And uh, I live in Washington, so I decided to drive down. And uh, we're doing it live. We're doing it live, yeah, and so instead of calling him, because he lives in Los Angeles and I live in Washington, I decided to meet him down here, and oddly enough, I drive down here, and then yesterday, my freaking car breaks down. Dude, so, it's the, it, it's not Bermuda, wait, what is it, it's the Oregon-Washington Triangle of Death. Traffic Triangle. Because when I yeah. tried coming up here six weeks ago to first come help my buddy, my car broke down. Yeah. And I was stuck in a random town in NorCal, and I had to figure some stuff out real quick because it was a Friday during the peak of this uh, pandemic, and I couldn't get in anyone's car. I couldn't get a lift. So yeah, sold my car super cheap and just had to get back home to my wife with a rental car. And now what are you going to do? How are you going to get home? So I, uh, I'm uh, – they uh, just found out today that uh, my car – I was supposed to leave tomorrow morning – but uh, found out today that my car will be in the shop till at least Tuesday. Today is Friday. Uh, so tomorrow I am probably going to jump on a train to Seattle. From Seattle I'll be on a bus back to Port Angeles. I will uh, tattoo all weekend long and then I will come back down here to pick up my car. It's going to be an interesting adventure to say the least. It's kind of suiting for 2020. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, I you know I, I thrive on adventure. So <laughs> here we go. Um, so yeah, man, why don't you tell us a little bit about your books? All right. Well, uh, my first book that I landed was uh, Best Climbs Los Angeles, and this was about. Eight years ago or so, I was at a outdoor retail trade show in Utah, and I was kind of getting a little tired of 
doing the runaround shooting for magazines because I was shooting for a lot of rock climbing magazines across the country, a couple international magazines. Okay. It's just getting to be a lot of a lot of work as I was getting older and securing down a book deal seemed like a really good opportunity. Um, found a publisher. They're actually based out of my home state, Connecticut, um, cool. Falcon Guides, which is really cool. So I've been able to make a couple trips back there, meet my editor, meet everyone who works on the staff. And they've since had me do a second book, which was for Santa Barbara, Best Climbs. So basically both of those books was me going around and cherry picking the best climbs in both counties, which was really cool because not many people think of L.A. as a climbing destination. Yeah. But a lot of people travel to L.A. for whatever it is, see family, friends, go to the beach, go snowboarding, go surfing, like for work, conventions. Yeah. If you're there, pick up my book. You'll be able to get to some of the best spots real quick, climb the best climbs. Um, a lot of research went into it. You know, I pour my heart into things. So put yeah. a lot a lot of work and a lot of time into it. And, and, and uh, uh, Damon took me climbing, bouldering for my first time. That was your first time. time. For my first time. And, and you killed it. And I, uh, yeah, we got, a, we got me doing a fairly... <laughs> tricky maneuver see i'm a balls out type of way guy. off the deck too man yeah so i'm a ball you might have almost died well <laughs> might have busted a knee or a leg or something yeah for sure um but yeah i uh i was in a tight spot probably about 13 feet up or something like easily that. Yeah, yeah easily at least 13 feet up maybe a little higher and uh i saw this little rock sticking out about two two feet above where my hand could reach and I was on this ledge and I was like, well, I can do this the easy way or I can do it the way that I always do, which is with a little bit of flavor. So <laughs> I decided to launch myself and, and risk jumping and grabbing onto this little rock. If you missed, you would have died. I wouldn't have died. <laughs> I would have been fucked up, though. But I made it, and we got on film. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that was fun. That was a good time for your first. I knew you would do good because of your athletic background, and I knew you were like big into martial arts and jujitsu, and I knew you had the head for it. Not so, so much jujitsu, more Muay Thai and Muay thai. boxing. Okay. I mean, I've done jujitsu. I don't know much about those, so I, I probably use yeah, use the wrong terminology. But I knew I had in my head. I knew that you were going to do well on your first trip. I mean, I have done jujitsu. I just tend to get injured doing it. Yeah. Um. So, so you wrote two or that three was the first. So that was the first two were first rock two. climbing books. Okay. And then my publisher came to me and said, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Really? I like I can pick anything." And he's like, "Yeah, man. Like, what are you interested in?" So I came up with like a list of about ten ideas, and I happened to be heading over to Connecticut. Uh, to see family and mix it up with going to see the publisher as well. And we sat down and had a meeting with a few people Yeah. and I pitched all my ideas and it, you know, gave them an idea of what I was interested in. I immediately, I knew I wanted to get away from rock climbing. I love climbing. That's what I've been doing for the last 16, 17 years in California. And before that, I really wanted to learn how to climb. Uh, but I realized that the audience was really small and yeah. As much as I loved doing these climbing guides, I really wanted to reach a broader audience. And I was kind of hearkening back to my origins, which is backpacking. Before I wrote all these books, I had done the Appalachian Trail before I moved out to California. So my roots are in long-distance backpacking trips. Nice. So I brought up the John Muir Trail to them because it had always been a dream of mine. Appalachian Trail is on the East Coast, correct? It is. It goes from Georgia to Maine. It took me six months, 10 days. 
I walked about 2,300 miles because I did a couple hundred miles of extra trails just to see beautiful stuff. Because people told me like, hey, there's a really cool waterfall off the Appalachian Trail. You got to do five extra miles. I'm like, cool. It's in the book. And I go do it. No one ever joined me. No one ever came. But I always came back with these sweet photos on my camera. And everyone's like, where was that? I'm like, dude, it was like a couple miles off the trail. Like, oh, I don't want to hike extra miles. Just like head slap moments, you know? Yeah. So I was, I'm into backpacking. And that's really what got me to discover climbing. And now I was trying to come back to it. So I pitched this John Muir Trail idea. And we we tossed it around for like an hour. And pretty much came up with like a good idea of what I was going to do. Uh, and we turned it into like a mid-sized coffee table book, full color. They gave me a really good budget, uh, bigger than any of the other budgets I've had with them and had more time to work on it. Rad. And it was kind of like a dream come true because when I finished the Appalachian Trail, the next thing in my head was another long distance trip. I kind of knew the PCT was going to be a long shot because it's a long trail and finding six months off of life is really hard. So I knew, like, maybe it's going to be a 300-mile trail, like the Long Trail or the Camino de Santiago or the John Muir Trail. So getting to do the John Muir Trail for my publisher, for work, and for investigative work and, and just learning about everything about it, all the fauna, the flora, the animals, the seasons, like what makes these mountains and working with all the people I got to work with was How was, long it was, was awesome. that trail? The trail is people can fact check me because i don't have my my notes with me i think it's 211 miles uh from yosemite valley to the top of mount um whitney that's a cool little trek yeah and i did extra miles of course because i wanted to see stuff you know like i i bagged some peaks i'd like leave my pack at base camp and go climb a a peak like a class three or class four that most people wouldn't do but because i'm comfortable rock climbing i could do it and i felt safe so I got to experience some really cool things on the John Muir Trail and get some really cool shots for my book. How long did that take? Uh, doing the, the trail? Yeah. I think I spent about 31 days or 32 days on the trail. And I, I moved along a little slowly because I had tripods and filters and like yeah. my triggers for my camera. You were I taking photos for the book, too. Tons of photos, bro. Like I changed up my whole camera system for this trip and took a ton of photos. So about... 70% of my book was my photos. The rest I commissioned from photographers that I've, you know, followed over the years. Great yeah. Sierra photographers, including guys like Ansel Adams. So being able to commission work from these people and put it in my book and have my photos next to them was, it was another really amazing experience. So I, I needed to make my photos look amazing. So I just spent a lot of time working on it. Did you ever get into any sticky situations on your uh, last book with the... You know, like on the trail or anything? A sticky situation. You know, I had a... Any spooky stuff? I don't know about spooky. I I feel like mentally I was really prepared. I did a lot of training for this. And actually during the trip, it felt like my whole athletic career was training for this trip. Okay. So mentally I was prepared, but there was a day that yes was weird i guess and it stands out in my head because it was the point where i was probably most mentally defeated even though i was being strong the whole trip it was right around mount banner and ritter out near mammoth and i was coming around the east side of them and going over the pass and i went back over to the west side which is then going to head me into yosemite at one point 
and I started getting lost continuously Uh lost dude like i could not stay on the route it's not a trail it's a route so i'm reading a book with no map and i'm trying to figure out based on what this book is telling me to do where to go so i'm looking at my topo maps i'm looking at my gps that's a little spooky and what i'm running into is these sheer drops into these deep deep gullies that are four five six hundred feet and i would run up to them and be like well that's not the right way so i'd have to go backtrack like a third of a mile and figure out which fin of rock i didn't take that led me to the wrong spot so i'd have to go find a new fin follow that and i'd run into another cliff face and be like what the fuck am i doing i only made like five miles progress in i think i was hiking for about 10 hours that day wow uh it was slow i was defeated i i was feeling depressed i definitely was like missing the heck out of my wife and my dog and was lonely i hadn't seen anyone at that point for about 50 ish hours i hadn't seen a human because i was going through stretches where i wouldn't see people because i wasn't on a trail so all these things were culminating and i was coming down into this last valley heading up towards uh the past thing was blue lake pass into yosemite and in my head, I was like, just try, dude, just try to get to the bottom of the pass because there'll be some sunshine. And tomorrow morning, you'll be stoked because you're right under the hard pass of the day and mm-hmm. you can get it done fresh and you'll have a beautiful campsite tonight. It's going to change your mood, your mood. As soon as I'm thinking this, I freaking slip into this like creek and twist my left ankle. Like not bad, but, but dude, enough. I'm carrying a pack. Yeah. How much was your pack weighing? Uh, I went super slim on this one. I didn't bring any photo equipment. I had an iPhone, but everything was super slim. I think 18, 15 to 18 pounds without food and water. Wow. And then you add food and water to it, so it's about 25, 28 pounds. That is slim. Yeah, super slim. But mind you, at this point, I've got yeah, 200 miles on my feet uh, of root finding, and now I'm at the peak of my, like, bad days and then i slip into this creek right before sunset and it was just like what else can go wrong you had your tent and all that with you i had everything with me i didn't fall into the creek but it was just this like quick twist and i had to stumble up the valley very slowly and i just i just went into this meditative mantra and it was like just get to the lake just get to the lake just get to the lake so what did you have in your backpack with you what did you bring on this trip i had a it's like a one and a half man tent. It's a two man tent. Like me okay. and my wife can fit in it. Um, but I carry that cause I, I needed some space for all my stuff. Cause yeah. I had a lot of stuff. Um, had a really s- small, uh, sleeping pad. It's a three quarter sleeping pad. So it's not like full length. Yeah. Um, sleeping bag, super lightweight. I had a down jacket, a very lightweight raincoat, no rain pants, long pants that unzip into shorts. So that was my only pants system uh-huh long johns so they had you, socks. you were smelling like a pirate by the by the second week it was getting bad but you know what like i i i washed my my shirts in the stream whenever i could cool i wash you know my bandanas whenever i could and i had you know those um athletic uh boxer brief type things and i was washing those whenever i yeah. could but yeah i was i was getting ripe um but you're also at really high elevation, so it's it's different than being in like a really moist and like humid forest. Yeah. <clears throat> um, then I had my you know cook set and pot and stove. I had a GPS device which had an SOS beacon on it, and I have insurance in the case I need a rescue, which I did witness a rescue out okay. there. Okay. Um, that's a very serious thing, and 
my wife told me, you're not going on this trip without this device. And I agreed with her. I'm not going on this trip without this device because if something happens and I haven't seen a human for 50 plus hours, yes. who the hell's going to rescue me? Exactly. So I had this device, which is my lifeline. Uh, I had a water filtration system. I had backup iodine tablets in case that filtration system broke. Uh, water bottles, uh, vitamins and food, uh, a earth sack, which is protected from bears. Um, I'm sure I'm missing a few things. You know, I had a ditty sack with all the little essentials. Like, a little oven. I had a little, not an oven, but a stove, a little, little stove. stove. Yeah, um, yeah, camper stove. You know, like little, you got knives and repair kits and toilet paper and toothbrush and toothpaste and all that stuff, man. It all starts adding up. But I am very neurotic when it comes to my pack weight. Like on the Appalachian Trail, I was the same way. My Appalachian Trail base weight was 13 pounds without food and water. At my, in the middle of the summer, my backpack, when I was going into town, so I had no food left because I was going into town to restock and I was drinking the last of my water, my backpack felt like I was going out for a day hike. I couldn't wow. even feel it. It was awesome. And it makes a world of difference. And wait, is, is there like various places you can stop off the trails to go get food? In the Appalachian Trail, it's different because you're traveling through these East Coast towns. So you're hitting roads like every four, six, eight miles. You could hitchhike into a town all okay. the time. John Muir Trail, Sierra High Route, which is last year I did the Sierra High Route. Um, those routes, you can't. You can't get a hitchhike into many towns. There's like maybe four spots that you cross that allow you to get food. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Okay. So uh, which one did you prefer? Was it the John Muir Trail or the Appalachian? Or are they both a different type of beauty? They're different. The Appalachian Trail was six months long. I was in my 20s when I did it. 2200 miles and that's a stretch it's more i think a lot of what i remember was the people because you're traveling with a lot of people everyone starts in like april-ish or so okay you're traveling along with a lot of people and you're seeing these people either daily weekly or maybe in a month you won't see someone because you're all on there for a long time, and there's these shelters on the Appalachian Trail, these three-sided shelters that the Appalachian Trail Conference has built. Like you can camp at or something? Yeah, and you can sleep in these shelters, oh, too. Cool. If you just don't want to set up your tent, you just look, roll out your pad and your your, uh, your sleeping bag, and there's, like, wood bunks, so, like, 15, 20 people can fit Curl up next to a raccoon. It's rad, man. It's actually panda. it's nice because, it, you know, when you're tired at the end of a day and you don't want to set a tent up, it's like, screw it, man, I'm sleeping in the shelters. Yeah. Tonight. Or if it's raining. What do you think is the longest... Uh, uh, mileage you put on the the Appalachian Trail in one day? Forty three miles. That's I remember that day of... distinctly, distinctly. That was the wow. four state challenge day. And how many hours were you walking for? We did that in about oh, shoot. I think it was like twenty one hours or so. Twenty twenty two hours. Wait, so you guys walked for twenty two hours straight? Yeah, I mean we took some a couple breaks here and there, short breaks. But there was a group of like five dudes, and we all knew what we were doing. Because it is like a known challenge when you're on the Appalachian Trail is to do the four-state challenge, which is having your feet in four different states in the same same day. Wow. Because you're okay. starting in one, you're crossing through two, and finishing in a fourth. Um, and over that time period is 43 miles to do it. So we literally slept on a state line and finished on another state line and then fell asleep in the dirt. 
<laughs> like it was it was a lot of fun. It was a great physical and mental challenge. Having other people with me was key. Having all of us yeah. there because we were all starting to lose it at one point. Like we had to make sure we were all eating and drink like yeah, hey bro. Fifteen hours in. Like you should eat an energy bar, bro. Or like, hey, does everyone have water? Like we're you know, we we're all looking yeah. out for each other. Cause like totally. it you could hurt yourself doing something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. That was the biggest day, um, for sure. Were you were you hiking with poles or anything? I was. I used hiking poles. On both poles. of those trails on the on the all long distance trails, I'll use hiking poles. They save your knees, they yeah. give you a rhythm. Yeah. You know, if you really just want to start droning out and just go. Yeah, I've used them. Get this great rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Going uphill, you can dig in. Going downhill, save your knees. So, um... So, going back to the difference between the two. So, the the Appalachian Trail is you're traveling with all these people. You're seeing a lot of sites. Tons of sites. The mountains are different. They're older. They're smaller. They're more round. Out here on the west coast where the john muir trail is it's a totally different beast there are a lot of people on it but everyone is going in different directions no one's migrating from the south to the north people are starting in the north people are starting in the south they're starting at all times of the year some of them are only out there for short trips okay so it's really hard to get a grasp on like ah there's this group of people traveling across the john muir trail whereas in the appalachian trail it feels like this group of people is migrating from Georgia to Maine and you see it and you feel it and you're a part of it. Whereas the John Muir trail, depending on who you are with specifically will bring a certain atmosphere to the trail. But you were by yourself for most of the John Muir. I did the first part with my wife. How, how long did you guys hike it for? Uh, she came with me for, I believe it was seven or eight days. She did the first seven or eight days with me. And then I spent another 23 days on the trail by myself. I ran into people there was a there was one guy. This guy Cayman. Funny enough, we have very similar names, and we're still buddies. And we've gone Cayman on tr- and Damon. Yeah, man, dude, it's crazy. Um, so we're super homies now, and we've gone on trips since. But we oh, cool. we hiked on and off for a few days on that on that trail. But I was on my own mission. You know, I was yeah. doing my own thing, and everyone is doing their own thing. Everyone's body is doing something different too. So when you travel with a partner on a long trip like that, it can be very difficult because you have to get in sync with each other. You know, someone may feel great one day and someone may feel like trash and you have to figure out how you both either get through the middle part of it or maybe today's a slower day or, you know, maybe you need to, maybe we need to just take a long break in the afternoon and see how you feel. Like it's hard to have expectations uh, if you're going to travel with a group or with a partner. So like when I was traveling with Cayman, like we knew, Hey, if I don't see you at the end of the day, bro, maybe I'll see you tomorrow. No problem. We got each other's phone number. We cool. knew we might not see each other again. <laughs> like, yeah. And we didn't hike together. You know, we would just take off at our own pace and then cross paths, have lunch together, hike off on our own and be like, Hey, you want to camp up here two miles away? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I can make it there tonight. We'd camp out together. Um, but then the next day I might not see him. So it was definitely more of a personal experience out there okay. on the JMT. And it was for me, man, I'm a, you know, now that I'm a climber, it was way more awe-inspiring because the mountains are just freaking epic in the the Sierras. The east side is just insane. Like the the rock, the rock formations and the opportunities you have to bag thirteen and fourteen thousand foot peaks is just Jesus. like it's incredible. It's incredible, and you could have a lifetime of adventure out there. Yeah, the the West Coast has definitely got some 
incredibly beautiful scenery. I can't speak on the East Coast. I can imagine it's probably it's awesome gorgeous. It's way. gorgeous, but it's a different way. But yeah, I can speak for just going up and down the Pacific, you know, coastline, you know, through various forests and stuff. It's it's fucking magical, man. It's Hobbit Land for sure. Yeah, man. Uh, you picked up some sponsors for your book. I I yeah, it's kind of uh, ish. It was like an ambassador for my book. It was uh, Mountain Hardware. Uh, a friend of mine had been designing there, and I hit him up, and I was like, hey, do you know anyone I could contact to see if they want to you know, get me some gear, and I can use it on the trail, hopefully get, get, it, in some, get it in some photos, get some use out of it, and uh, that worked out. I hooked up with some people at Mountain Hardware. They sent me and my wife a bunch of really great gear. Awesome. And we did a lot of training trips to get ready for the John Muir Trail. So I got a lot of shots of that gear in use. And I got to use that gear, which is gear I did already use. I like their stuff. And that's a reputable. Very, very reputable, reputable company. company. Yeah, and they have some really fantastic sponsored athletes. Like a lot of guys that I used to shoot back in the rock climbing days are sponsored by Mountain Hardware now. So it was really cool to use their stuff uh, on that trail and then come back and actually have a sto- I had a story where I needed to put myself in my backpack in my sleep in my tent at night so i was in my sleeping bag and it was raining so hard the tent was in a spot in a lull in the land that water and it was my fault for pitching it there oh, no. um it was in a lull so there was a lot of water and i was worried about getting my sleeping bag wet and getting cold so i stuck my feet inside my sleeping bag and then inside my backpack which was waterproof so i wrote about that it was like one of the experiences of this crazy storm how i used like their backpack saved me from getting you know super damp in the middle of the night yeah. and freezing my butt off would it have had would you have gotten all wet i probably would have gotten damp it would have been uncomfortable i would have yeah. survived but yeah. i'd rather if i have a solution to stay more comfortable Absolutely. i'll take it and sticking my feet inside my backpack was fine yeah <laughs> so totally. yeah that worked out really well and like uh, i still have all that equipment like some of the stuff they sent me was just some of my favorite gear i've ever owned now nice yeah that's awesome yeah, man, that's that's fucking badass when you get to do a labor of love, you're creative, you, you know, you get to do what you love to do, you you get some some swag or, you know, really reputable people supporting you and and then you get to like chronicle all of it and uh, didn't that book like win an award or Yeah, man. Um like, What's the name of the book again one more time? Discovering the John Muir Trail. Discovering the John Muir Trail by Damon Corso. You can find it on Amazon. Falcon Guides publishes it. And uh, I won the National Outdoor Book Award that year, which I had no idea my publisher submitted to me for, which I guess now that I think about it, they probably submit a few of their books every year. They must. They must. You know, they've had a lot of award winners. And I have some of their books at my house, and I've bought some since that have won this award. Um, so they submitted me and I got an email from the national outdoor book award association. And they're like, congratulations, you know, you won in the adventure guide category. And I was like, what the, wait, is, is someone spoofing me? Is this, you know, is this one of those things I win and I have to pay to like get my name in the photo book. And then my publisher sent me an email saying, Hey, I, I don't know if you got the news, but you won the national outdoor outdoor book award. And I'm like, dude, what is going on? When did this happen? When did you submit me? And they told me all about it, and I was like, "This is inc- I never, I never even would have thought, man. 
Did I they never send you a thought. plaque or? A it's card? now they now they print the book with this gold emblem on it. Oh, that rad. says on the cover that says National Outdoor Book Award winner, and one of my buddies who I work with, uh, he's a great climber, this author for Climbing Magazine, um, and he has also written a book that won the National Outdoor Book Award. So it's really cool to like now become part of this like little circle of guys who have and and women who have written these amazing books that have gotten national recognition for you know the outdoors the outdoors are amazing man oh yeah, yeah. totally um freaking uh and what you know one last thing and i know i blurred into it while we were talking earlier oh, was about the john muir trail another thing i was able to take away was discovering the sierra high route which I was starting to talk about where I had, you know, my GPS device and it was going to rescue me. And one of my hardest mm-hmm. days, w- that hardest day was actually on the Sierra high route. When you fucked your ankle up. Yeah. Um, that I discovered when I was training for the John Muir trail. Cause I ran into some folks. Didn't you com- take pictures of it? Crazy ass mountain on the Sierra high route. I think so. Wasn't it like some crazy I made mountain a- with a plateau on it or something? I think you told me about it. That trip. I made a, f- five-part video series on that I'm pretty sure I sent to you and watched with you. Okay. Um, I just took my iPhone and did like a selfie stick thing on my hiking pole and documented and took photos of that entire trip for myself and for my friends and for my posterity. It's like, I want to remember this. But while training for the John Muir Trail, I ran into some folks coming down from a pass out near uh, Mono Village and I asked where they were coming from and they said they were on old Stevie Roper's route and I was like, what? Who's, Who's route? They're like, oh, it's the Sierra High Route. And I'm like, what is this Mr. route? Mr. Roper. Like, what are you talking Three's about? Company. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Which made me turn around, and do my research, because I like to research. I like uh-huh. to dig in. And I got home and I started researching the Sierra High Route thing, which I had never heard of. I've been uh-huh. in the Sierras all these years, and I'm smacking myself in the face when I discover, like, when I look up what it is, it's this route that's not a trail that you need to use your own skill to traverse and it goes through the ridges and highest passes of the Sierra and it was created by a rock climber and it was like dude this guy made a route for me <laughs> like yeah I was like this was for me so after I finished the John Muir trail book I then lasered in on the Sierra high route just lasered in and I told my wife like listen like I'm gonna be 40 soon I don't want a Ferrari I don't want a yacht. I want to hike the Sierra High Route. That's what I want to do. That's that's if if I have a midlife crisis, I think this is what it is. I need to go prove to myself that I can still accomplish these amazing physical feats on my own, just me, myself, and I. And you're gonna be forty in February. I turned forty in January this year. Oh wait, oh that's right. I yeah, thought you were a a. a, a of February Aquarius. So you're January. Yeah, and this was uh I did the Sierra High Route in So you turned forty and I turned forty four. Jesus. We're yeah. getting old. Yeah man. Right? So that was like that I discovered that route by doing the John Muir Trail. And that route, which it was the greatest it was the greatest thing I've ever done physically. It just felt like I said a culmination of all my skills over all the years, navigating, climbing, backpacking, hiking. What's really crazy is like seeing you cuz like, you know, I I travel all over and I've stayed with with Damon and Chrissy and Chrissy's my blood cousin, Damon's my cousin cousin. 
you know, he, he married my cousin. I actually married them. We'll get into that story in a minute. But what's really crazy is like, because I'll come stay with them. You know, when I was living in Hawaii, I'd come stay with them. Or when I was traveling, I'd come stay with them. And to see, it's almost like looking at like a UFC fighter when they're not, you know, they're not in a training camp or something, you know, or before weigh-ins or whatever. Like Damon would have all this weight on him. And then when we would, he would come back from these hikes, he'd be like in fight shape. <laughs> he'd be all lean and and his cheeks would be sucked in. And It'd be hard to tell at first because so my like, beard was like huge. So what do you think like you weigh huge. before you go on a hike and what do you think you weigh after? It probably doesn't change too drastically. At least but 15 it, it, pounds. No, no, for sure. I'm gonna, I was going to say 15, 20 it, pounds. At least, no, no, no. Or probably around 10 max because i'm not that heavy bro I'm no like 135, i know you're not, so i don't have like, much to lose a lot of it converts into muscle yeah of course you know, but converts i'm just back saying to like muscle, so. it's it's crazy because like sometimes i like no i'm like damn damon looks like he lost 15 or 20 no pounds. i don't think it gets up to 20 i think 10 15 is what i when i got back i was like okay i think it was like 10 pounds because my belt did keep getting tighter okay. for sure yeah and my face did keep sinking in yeah totally but i couldn't tell because i had a freaking huge beard so, Damon started dating my cousin. How long ago? Ten years. Ten years. It's really weird because it almost seems like it's been like 15 years at least. But I guess it has only been ten years. And uh, I wound up moving to Kauai. And they came out and they visited one time. And you guys, on your first visit, yeah. you guys stayed with me at my when I was living with my buddy Micah. You guys stayed with me for a couple days, and you guys went and you guys did. You guys do the call out trail, or did, we did. you just look at it? No, no, we did the whole trail that trip, okay. and we stayed out on the beach for three nights, I believe. Okay. Uh, and the literally, bro, like I mean, me and her, I had already proposed at that point, and me and her were think trying to figure out where to get married, and it was this turmoil of like we want to do it where we want to do it, and we kind of want to be able to include some family, but we can't totally take that into account. Cause yeah. we knew we needed to go where our hearts told us to go. Yeah. And we, we had tossed around a lot of really neat ideas that could have, I'm sure had Yosemite family. mammoth. No, oh, well, more obscure than that. Cause you know, we like to be obscure. Um, but yeah, like Sequoia national park. Okay. There you go. Of, there, you know, but you I know knew it was somewhere. Yeah, along exactly. Lines. Exactly. But when we landed when our feet landed on the beach, we finally f finished hiking the 11 miles. You know, it took us a day and a half to get out to the beach. And let me just brief them on the Kalalau Trail, okay? So when I first moved to Kauai, Kalalau Trail is known as, like, uh, it's one of the top 11 hikes of the world. And it's known, I believe, as, like, the seventh most dangerous hike in the world. Um, maybe the times of years we went or whatever— it wasn't as dangerous, but you could easily see how in like a wet season you could slide off that. And that's what it is. Cliff. It's the wet seasons. Yeah, and 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 you're you're looking at upwards of like, you know, eight hundred you know feet at some points, maybe even higher. I I don't know, um, but uh, and the, the the trail does narrow out, and it's it's beautiful. You know, Kauai North Shore, the Garden Island hike and you know i remember when i got on it i was like you know because i'd heard so much about it and you know i had my lady at the time her friend and my good buddy blaze blaze smith excellent musician 
And we jumped on that trail, and I didn't know what to expect. I just heard so much amazing stuff. And I remember the first day, we hiked the whole freaking day going up, you know, different elevations and down and through all these switchbacks. And, uh, you know, I remember we finally got to, like, this middle part, which is, like, I think six and a half miles in or something like that. And you can camp. And I looked at them because I didn't know what to think. I was like – I remember thinking by the end of the day, I was like, God, I mean, how could – how could this be so i mean like it was beautiful but like how could this you know why why would people do this like you know like because it was it was intense and and i think my pack probably weighed about 45 50 pounds and i didn't have walking sticks at that point so i was just lugging shit in um and i remember i was like let's just stay here for the night and we camped out at the, the midway point for the night and i remember halfway through the second day thinking like you know, I just hear so much amazing shit. Like, what could be, like, what could be more amazing than some of the shit I've already seen? Like, how can I justify all this? And then, lo and behold, when we finally got to Kalalau in the late a- later afternoon, the ne- that next day, I understood why people do it because yeah. it is a cathedral of some of the most beautiful Hawaiian mountains you've ever seen, and it it is incredible it's breathtaking yeah so back to your story sorry to interrupt well it and right where you ended man same with us when that was a really hard trek it, it was. was it was a really hot day both days when yes we hiked. it was hot as fuck when we did it and it was humid and you know you're weaving in and out of the the valleys so it's going humid 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 then it's windy 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 then elevation gain elevation loss and you're like when is this going to be done it's beautiful but and, like a, you said. and a cool part in between like the middle of each switchback is like once it dips into the mountain, you know, you're walking into the mountain or you're walking away from the mountain or into the mountain. Every time you go in and, and you know, sometimes, you know, that, that trek inward might take you 10 minutes or it might take you 40 minutes. Yeah, some of them are right? huge, yeah. But when you get into the center of a lot of these, these switchbacks, there's uh, – there's they've got like little rivers, little yeah. little, little the water. waterfalls, and that's where the dangerous crossings are. Yes. So in the rainy season, this is where people get swept away. Yes, and that's where it's and there's signs with sket you know marks like four marks with a another mark across it. So it's five people have died here. But you look and it's a couple hundred people have died here at certain river crossings. Like yeah, it's very dangerous. So yeah, when we landed on the beach, also we our breath was taken away. You know, and like it's that beautiful. My wife and I just walked here and we looked at each other and we're like, yeah, this is where we're getting married. This is obviously where we're getting married. It's incredible. You know, we came back. Was it the next year? You guys came back. Let me think. Uh, We got married in 2015. No, no, you guys came back. And so I got there, I believe, in 2011. When did you guys get married? 2015 in March. Okay, so I got there, then I got there in 2012, because I remember being in Kauai December 21st, 2012, which was the predicted date on the Mayan calendar. I remember being there, Um, and uh, we, uh, you guys came and visited, I thought you guys came, yeah, you guys visited me that year, you guys visited shortly after I got there. Yeah, I think you're right. It was about 2013. Because when she told me, she's like, would you want to go see Jeremy? And I was like, where is he? And she's like, Kauai. And I was like, wait, wait. 
I have to go look at my notebooks. And it's funny because I ran out to the garage and went into my Appalachian Trail journals. I still had them because someone had told me week one, I ran into this dude named Smiling Mike. That was his trail name. And he was just happy, and we got along, and he was super tan. I was like, why are you so tan, bro? Where'd you come from? He was like, oh, I was just living in Kauai. I was like, what do you mean living in Kauai? What, where's Kauai? What, what, what is this? And he's like, oh, I was on Kalalau Beach, and I just lived there for like nine months. I'm like, what? Skirt? Like, tell me about this place. So I wrote it down in my Appalachian Trail journal. And when she told me you were living there, I was like, wait, there's something I got to do on Kauai. Let me go yeah. find out. And I went to my journal, pulled up the first week from Georgia, and found the note go to Kalalau in my Appalachian okay. Trail journal. Yeah. So I was like, this is a sign. So I was like, we got to do this trip, babe. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? This is so long. And I was like, trust me. Just trust me. It's going to be worth it. Trust me. And she did. She trusted me. Yeah. That's what I love about her. She trusts me. And like, I trust her. And we got out there, man. And that was that was the place. Yeah, so that you guys came back, I want to say, probably – Two years later. Two years later. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly what it was. Yeah. I had a new girlfriend. I was on a new. I was living in a different part of the island. Um, I was living in. Kalo. I was living in Kalaheo at that point. Yeah, that's right. And, and when you guys first came, I was living in, in Wailua Homesteads, and then from there I moved to Kilauea, and then I moved to uh, Kalaheo. Yeah. And so. These guys tell me, hey, we want to get married in Kauai. And I was like, oh, that's fucking awesome, man. Da, 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 da. And they're like, yeah, and we want you to marry us. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, dude, you got to get ordained. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. Fuck, I'm honored. Let's do it. And so uh, they said they, they got me ordained. I don't. I had to do something to get that. You had to stuff. sign the piece of paper Crystal and print it out for you. She, oh, okay. she took care of everything for you. Okay. That's why you don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <don't>. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So they get me ordained, and then they – I was going to hike out, but I got sick. Yeah. And then – Oh, no, no, no. I was going to hike weren't... out. I wasn't going to hike in. You guys paid for Brando to 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 jet ski me in. Originally, you were going to hike in, though. Remember? Oh, was I going to hike in with you and guys? And you weren't feeling good. Yeah. And we were okay. worried you weren't going to make it because you weren't feeling good. So we're like, let's just jet ski him out here. And that's how we met, okay, that's yeah. how we met Brando on and the beach. And then I was going to hike out, but I still wasn't feeling that good. Yeah. So. You would have killed yourself hiking out in that condition. And well, lo and behold, me and Damon almost killed ourselves anyways. So uh, they get out there. They they call this dude. OG homie used to, to, to surf with Andy Irons out there. Grew up with those guys. And, and Brando, and, and he is an authentic Kauai fucking pirate. You know, grew up on the North Shore. And they got him to jet ski me out to call out and the water was choppy as fuck it was a storm that day because i remember at one point after moving to hawaii i want to say nine months after moving to hawaii i swam from ka beach to hanakapiai i think it that's was. two miles in on the trail yeah Hanakapai. yeah so we swam that and the water wasn't that crazy but when when brando took me in on that jet ski it was choppy, man. I was like, dude, we were stressing all day because it was storming. We're like, what's yeah, gonna happen? I was, I was hanging on, and we we were, yeah, we were hitting switchbacks on that jet ski in the ocean, 
and fucking uh, we 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 hit the shore. I remember hitting the shore and then just you guys running up with your arms in the air and it was just it was, it was epic. So and seeing those mountains from the ocean as opposed to the to the 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 trail, it was a different kind of beauty. But it was just there's a specific vibe in Kalalau and and people would never understand it. Yeah, you can look at all these incredible pictures online, but there's an energy there. There's a vortex. Absolutely. And they say the Menahunis used to live or live in the Kalalau Mountains. And uh, for those of you who don't know what the Menahunis are, those are the those are the Hawaiian dwarves, the Hawaiian gnomes. And um, yeah, man, those mountains are cathedrals. And we got there. And uh, I'm going to let you go ahead and take away the marriage ceremonies. Yeah, so you arrived in a storm. And uh, our photographer actually has that this great photo of you and me hugging in the rain. Like, you know, oh, these giant, like, smiles on our faces. Like, you finally made it. And, like, I know Crystalline was so relieved. And it was crazy because it was the Didn't day. did he hike out there with you, the photographer? The photographer did, yeah. He, he was totally a cool did. dude. Really cool guy. Um, and... You know, it was the day we were going to get married, so that's why Crystal was stressing out because it was the twentieth, which we wanted to do it on the twentieth. And we're like, we're ready, dude. Like, let's go get you some hot tea at the tent. Did, we got you we some dry do clothes. It the day that I arrived, we did it the day you arrived. Oh, we did it that afternoon. Yeah, man, it was crazy. And we had all of our friends who, and I knew some people that were out there. They had hiked out there at that point, and we had met people out there at that point because we had been there for like a week. So we knew all these other new friends who had made us like all these beautiful things like the Hawaiian lays and the crowns. Yeah. And like, it was, it was absolutely, it was incredible. Incredible. Dude. I've been to a lot of, you know, weddings, high end weddings. Most of the weddings I've been to have been all pretty high end weddings of friends and, 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 you know, acquaintances. Um, and they've been in some beautiful epic places, but this quaint little wedding was by far the most and it wasn't because I was marrying them or because they well, were it was also cousin. it was just the whole vibe of it all was just pure magic just the energy was it was I felt like we were on mushrooms and that's what it is that you like you said there's an energy there yeah we I felt like we were on shrooms and too. we had a bunch of people who who know that and feel that energy yes they were all together in that cave because yes. it was raining so there's a cave off to the side of the the main waterfall in Kalalau where people shower and they get their water and all that stuff. There's a cave, you know, off to if you're looking at the ocean, it's off to the left and it's these big black, crazy it's volcanic. Volcanic ancient caves. And uh you know, that's where we did the ceremony. Yeah, it was the driest. And it was, you know, your ceremony was beautiful like the symbols you drew in the ground for us to stand on and you know what you said and just everyone's energy there together and then the big group hug at the end and then when we walked out of the cave the rain had stopped at that point and the clouds started parting and the sun came out and there was a rainbow down at the other end of the beach and it was gorgeous I, really, <laughs> it was I, well, I remember absolutely incredible. I remember part of what I said, and I and I kept it short, but you know I kept it short because, you know I didn't want to drag on all crazy. But part of what I said was is uh, 
I unify these because I still do this prayer. You know, this is part of a prayer that I've been doing for years. Yeah. I started it in Hawaii. I started, I made this prayer up shortly after I did my second 10 day Vipassana on the big island in, in Pahoa at, 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 you know, which was a fucking crazy experience. Um, but I, after this, like it blew my chakra, my crown chakra open. I mean, I don't know a lot about the chakras, but I know about them. But it just fucking blew my crown open the second meditation I did, and I started this this prayer. But the, you, and I and I said I unify these two beings in the name of love, happiness, health, healing, courage, creativity, abundance, wisdom, strength, acceptance, compassion, forgiveness, and truth. You guys are officially married, and, and, I, and I like the witness of the earth, the air, the water, the fire, and you know I drew. Uh, a, tr- a a pyramid, which on- is here. If you need to remember, it's, oh yeah, it's tattooed on me. Yeah, so I drew an infinity loop, and then above that I drew a, a pyramid, and above that I drew a heart with a cross going through the heart, and there's various symbol in all of it. So the infinity. You know, could represent the, the the Milky Way galaxy if you believe in that kind of thing, but it re- represents eternity, you know, in, in the cycle of life. And then the pyramid represents an indestructible, ancient uh, structure that will, you know, it's a temple. It's 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 the Trinity, uh, you know, architecturally. So, you know, you know, some people think the pyramids are six thousand years old. Other people think they're they're twelve. To 30,000 years old. So I knew that it was a structure built to withstand the ages of time. And then above that, I drew the heart, of course, for love. And then in the heart, I drew the cross for the four directions, the four elements, the four nations, and for also the cross of the zodiac. So I've been into the arcane and the esoteric for years. But I drew that symbol for them to stand on, you know, Representing an eternal foundation of love, under the you know all that we are, which is the elements and and uh, you know that was it was a fucking you know I remember like I was crying, they were crying, everyone people, was man, everybody it in was the cave insane. was crying. There was what was crazy is I thought it was just going to be a few of us, and it wound up being like six people across from six people, you guys in the middle, me and the photographer. Yeah. It was incredible. It was, and, and then we had the the. Oh, and I was looking out. They were looking at me in the cave, and I was looking past them to this, you know, this this six and six groups of people out under the ocean. It was fucking incredible. That was something. None of us there will forget. Obviously, you, me, and Crystal will never forget that. Oh no. Yeah. Totally. But even those and, people. And how were upset was our family that they weren't there? Not you know what my family wasn't. Uh, Chrislyn's family, immediate family, wasn't really upset. I know everyone probably wishes they could have been there. Um, there were some people who were. Yeah, there's some people that were. were but upset. those are far but, and few between. Because everyone who knows us kind of knew what we were gonna do. Because they knew us, you know. Like my mom was like, "Thank God you finally decided." When we told her. And I was like, you're not upset? She's like, well, I kind of figured I wasn't going to be able to make it to whatever you guys picked where you're going to get married. Yeah. As long as, like, 
I have something to remember it by, which is why we really focused on getting the photographer out there. What's a, what's amazing to me is looking at the people that visited me while I was on Kauai. We're going to go right back to this this story because we got more of the Kalalau Chronicles to tell. But you guys were the first family members to come visit me. Then Blaze and Bianca and my buddy... Oh, uh, shit. How the... F- uh, I forgot. What an asshole. Fucking. I just hit him up the other day, too. Um, but they came out and visited. And my buddy Anthony uh, Giancola came out and visited. And then Jason and Maria came oh, that's out right, and yeah. visited. And then uh, my dad and stepmom came out and visited. And then. Uh, my mom and Pete came out and visited, and uh, shit, man. Like, looking back on the people that, that came out and visited, it's, it's crazy. Like, a lot of family came and visited, dude. So back to Kalalau. So we marry them. And what did we do after the ceremony? Was it Well, it? our photographer, Tim... I, I knew it was the perfect time. Like it was golden hour, man. And yeah. the sun had just come out with the rainbow. So he was taken. Like, he took, I mean, these, the wedding photos Tim took were just, they make me tear up when I see them now. Yeah. They're so good. He that captured was an it. incredible journey. He was like a reporter on that trip. Like, he really just, it wasn't the posed, cheesy wedding photos at all. Like, there's no, no barely any. There's, there's one no or two. Cheese in this no way. cheese in them. And so we took photos for like two hours and it didn't feel like it, but we did. Uh, We went all over the place and got some really great stuff. And then that night, you, me and Tim, we cooked dinner together. That was our wedding dinner. We cooked like a instant, like one of them camp cook meals. And then we made then we made. I think it was like an apple crumble like dessert for the wedding cake that we all shared. (laughs) Like, yeah, it was that was our our little reception and then we went yeah. to bed man it was just we're in, living in a tent in the woods in the jungle like yeah. you know we we i think we had foraged some uh some plants that day for the salad we ate with dinner because yeah. we learned how to forage all the different yeah leaves and the nasturtia and and like, some of those people have gardens up there oh yeah i mean they'll, they'll from time to time go out there and eradicate all the hippies but you know the hippies that's part of the tradition yeah, i mean there's people who got you know they're growing tobacco out there they're growing there's all the wild fruits that are growing yeah. so there's that and Lilicoy, then the fruits that are making yeah and then those fermented fruits guava. are turning into wine yep, some of those people guava. are making wine um so yeah we went to sleep that night and then we woke up the next day and Damon has this brilliant idea that we're going to go out and body surf. Yeah, it was and sunny. I, yeah, it, it had was been sunny. days. Um, and, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. I was like, sure, I'll, I'll go out there with you. I looked at the ocean, and I just saw massive 8 to 10-foot face waves. And I'm like thinking like, Maybe I because sh- we started we got uh, to running towards the 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 ocean, and I remember Damon running about thirty feet ahead of me, and I was like, "Hey, you should stop Damon and tell him don't go any higher than the than than the waist, or don't go any deeper than the waist, because those waves are breaking." And then my my mind also said. No, man, Damon's an outdoorsman. He knows. You don't got to tell him. He's a mountain man. He knows what he's doing in the ocean. Yeah, he knows. (laughs) Well, at this point in time, I had already paddled for Hanalei Bay for, you know, a season. 
Um, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm knowing what fucking time it is in Kauai. You know, the ocean does, you know, you go, the, you know, you don't get eaten by sharks in Kauai. You get eaten by the ocean out there. Um, so, uh, I'm thinking Damon knows we get out there and, and it was so quick. We get out there and, and I'm worrying about me and I'm being cautious and shit. And, and I'm like. A, a little above, you know, a little, the, the water's a little above my, my belly button. And Damon's like 30 feet further than me. And I'm yelling at him. And mind you, I'm not feeling good. You know, I'm like, you know, I had been coughing and, you know, not feeling good. So my, 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 my lungs weren't at full capacity. And I'm yelling at Damon and he doesn't hear me. And I'm like, son of a bitch. And the waves are huge and they're breaking non fucking stop it ain't like the california break where they come every you know five seconds these waves are coming every two to three seconds and they're not letting up and so i'm yelling he doesn't hear me and i'm like son of a bitch i gotta swim out to him and tell him we gotta swim parallel to the ocean we gotta swim out of the rip current we're gonna get sucked out so i like duck underwater i take a couple strokes towards him and and now I notice, I look back, and at, when I first looked at him, I looked behind me, I'm like 150 feet off the shore. By the time I get to Damon, we're like a fucking football field. Yeah, it was a couple From, hundred feet, two, yeah, three hundred feet. Yeah, it was like 250 feet off the shore. Yeah. But of course, it seems like a thousand feet at that point, because now I'm noticing I don't have a footing. And I look at Damon, and I'm like, Hey bro, you swam out too far. We gotta, we gotta fucking, we gotta swim parallel to the beach, or we're gonna get stuck in a rip, rip current. So okay, cool. So we start swimming. We're not making any fucking headway. And so then I look at him and I say, "Damn, bro, you swam out too far." And now I'm feeling a little bit nervous. And I remember right as I said that, you said, "Well, let's flip over on our backs." And float and right because you were you were starting to panic and you were like I can't breathe, dude. I can't breathe. Okay, because yeah. you were feeling sick. And then as soon as you said I that, I said, dude, and I saw, I looked. I was like, he's gonna, he is gonna fucking drown himself if he doesn't calm down. And that's when I was like, get on your back. Yeah, we're in the ocean. Yeah. Okay. You know? I did say I couldn't breathe. And then as soon as I said that, I'm getting nervous. You said, let's flip on your back, and my mind instantly said, well, if you're gonna go, you're gonna go, dude. You can't leave this dimension scared. So roll over on your back, relax, swim like a honu. Honu is a turtle. Relax, say a prayer, and see what happens. Yeah, just man. surrender. Well, what would have happened is what my plan was in my head was we'll get on our backs and we'll float to that next beach. I forget the name of it yeah. right now. But there's another beach that everyone takes that current we're in, we were stuck in. They take that current to that next beach. They get on their surfboards or they swim. Yeah. What's the name of that beach? I forget. It's the hidden one that yeah, you can only get to one. by swimming to. Yeah, exactly. So in my head, I was like, we're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We got to go to the next beach. And I don't know how we're getting back, but we got to put get on our backs because we can't swim there. Like we're too, we're, we're both like on high adrenaline right now. So, so, <laughs> and I've been in a few near death experiences in my lives, right? I flip over on my back 
and and I'm just I, I flip over my back and I relax for a second and I was like, oh, thank you, God, for everything you've given me. Fucking, <laughs> I love your, you. I love my final family. prayers. <laughs> I was. You know, I was like, I love you. I love my family. I'm grateful for everything. If I'm gonna go, uh, you know, please get me out of this. But if I'm gonna go. Please make it quick. I surrender. It's all good. And then I just started swimming like a turtle. And the next thing you know, I hear a motor. I look over my shoulder and Alakai and fucking Brando. The salty pirates. The, yeah, the salty fucking pirates are on the on the jet. Salty Kalalau pirates are on the jet ski just fucking bailing towards us, right? Fucking Alakai's driving. Brando's on the back. Uh... You know, because they had the drag. What was yeah, it? The they drag had, they net. Had like, it was like a boogie board dragon. Yeah, yeah like them. a drag net thing. And he reaches out. Like, grab, grab the net, grab the net. We grab it. And they tow us in. Now, mind you guys, these guys aren't in a lot. But they're there a lot less than they are there. Yes, that's true. So we were very fucking lucky, dude. Those dudes saved our fucking lives. And I remember we get to the shore, and I say, "Oh, Brando, I must look like one dumb Holly, huh?" And he goes, "He goes, he goes, he goes, nah, brah. Fucking three months ago, the ocean almost took me, and I've been surfing the North Shore my whole fucking life." Yeah. He's like, "Nah, brah. You never know. This fuck the the, the island's fucking dangerous, brah. The fucking ocean will take your yeah. ass." He's like, "It's all good, brah. I'm just glad that we were here." They definitely made get you. a crappy situation and I, a and lot it, better. And I was like. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, man. By the time I realized what was happening, he's like, brah, by the time you realize what happened, we knew for 15 they were push- seconds they were what already- the fuck was happening. We were we were pushing the pushing fucking thing. We in. knew 15 seconds before you knew what the fuck was happening, what time it was. We were already pushing in a jet ski into the yeah. ocean, brah. <laughs> And they came and they got us, and then they fucking fed us fucking lunch and kicked it with us for a few minutes, and fucking we talked. And yeah, Brando said he was surfing out by KA Beach a few months before, and it was nighttime, and he got, and the swell got a little bigger as as fucking the, the sun was going down, and I think he got pulled out. And and it was I think it was high tide or something, and his only way back in was to go to the rocks, and he was yelling and yelling and yelling, and fucking he said I said to myself, Brian, nobody gonna fucking hear you, you gotta save yourself, and he said I made a decision at that point, fuck it, either I'm gonna drown out here in the ocean, I'm gonna get sucked way the fuck out. Or I'm going to take my board into those fucking rocks and risk it. And maybe I'll get a little bit injured or something. And he said he took the, the fucking board into the rocks. His board got all dinged up. But that he didn't get injured bad at all. And that fucking he made it. And that was a story he told me. And fucking... Uh, yeah, man. Fucking... Uh, Brandon was an interesting dude, man. He was, was he was a fucking cool dude. And he saved us, him and Alakai. And I heard that Alakai just died a few months ago, I heard. Oh, man, really? That's what I heard. I seen I seen a post on Instagram. I That's think uh, he was I a think, staple. What's his name? Fucking Dustin Barka, uh, fighter for uh, Bellator, posted it. 
Dustin Barco was really big on solidify the sovereignty of the Hawaiian people. They were anti-GMO, and we used to see him at protests out there when we protest Monsanto every once in a while. But I, I think I seen on his page that that's how freaking um, you, you know that that Alakai had passed away or whatnot. But uh, yeah, man, what fucking crazy experience, huh? Definitely. So freaking. Uh, Damon, what we, the, 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 my whole call out exp, experience with that whole thing was near death experience, and Damon's always making light of it. Yeah, because we didn't almost die, bro. <laughs> we were fucking close. To, we were close. Maybe to if hit. I wasn't there with you, maybe you would have died. That might have been true. I kind of was your voice of reason. <laughs> well, as soon as I said that, as soon as I was like, and I'm a little nervous, I realized you can't be scared, bro. Don't no, be scared. You can't, because I've been in life and death situations and I've been in death situations where someone else is periled and it is fucking scary, but you do have to stay you calm to and stay think calm. rationally, yeah. especially if you're by yourself. And I've been by myself in some sketch situations. Yeah. So then freaking, uh, yeah, they, Damien always laughs when I tell that story, but, uh, I always took that. See, so I've always been into conspiracies and the occult and the esoteric and spirituality and things of that nature. For me, I felt like, that whole experience on the ocean when I surrendered was something I, I call it the creator of all things uh, sent a shockwave into me and, and sent me on a really hard and heavy path of of conspiracy, uh, of spiritual esoteric wisdom, of 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 all kinds of of stuff, because the the. the the moment that I got back from that trip, you know, I, you know, I would study conspiracies here and there. I'm talking about since that experience, and I believe it was the ocean, I have been like nearly every single day, every single night digesting as much information on the occult, on conspiracy, on, on, uh, you know, esoteric knowledge on, on just just about anything you could think of since that moment. Now, these guys had heard me go off on crazy fucking conspiracy rants before this trip at fucking family gatherings and shit like that. But since that moment, I have I started writing a book after Call Allow on magic and all this other crazy shit. I knew a little bit about, but I barely knew anything about it. And I like fully channeled what, what I believe magic and the arcane was all about. Um, and then, and then here we go. Damon and Chrissy decide they're going to come visit me up here in Washington. And we do this crazy epic hike up. Do you remember the name of that mountain? God, man, I wish I did. This is one of those like moments where I would say Klukulani pause it so we can get the right name. Cause I actually do want to know. Cause I can Kala never Kalani. remember. It sounds Hawaiian. Yeah, it but sounds it's Native American. But it's Native American, yeah. And we did, and it was by the Olympic it's like Mountains. Like Cajone Ridge or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, Kala Cajone Ridge or something like that. Um, and it's in the, by the Olympic Mountain, Mount Olympus, uh, off the peninsula, uh, above Port Angeles. And we do this incredible hike in the summer. And uh, it literally, I felt like we were in the Swiss Alps. Dude, it was crazy with the mountain goats, the snow, the clouds that came in. So 
we get to the top of the mountain, right? And it's just about an hour and a half hike up that mountain, right? It took that us about an hour and a half. Hour to and a half, two hours. It was steep, man. And then about an hour to get down, right? Yeah. About half the amount of time to get down. And it was fucking epic, right? We get up there, and these guys have Maggie, their dog, the, the pit bull, the service dog with them. And uh, normally you're not allowed to have dogs there, but we got the pit bull with us. We get to the top. We're hanging out on the top of this ridge by ourselves. And all of a sudden, I'm laying on my back, and I'm just, like, looking up at, at these mountains and valleys. And all of a sudden, I hear something. I look over, and literally about 12 feet away is a mama goat and two small goats, right? And I was like, hey, cousin, look. And my cousin Chrissy looks, and then Damon looks. Well, I don't even think – you were you were standing up. You were sitting down with Maggie. I was on the other side with Maggie. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, uh, of this little rock that they they were on the other side of this little rock, and then Chrissy goes, "Oh my God, it's so beautiful." And I said to her, "I said, hey cousin, I know how cute they are. I know how beautiful they are. But don't be getting all comfortable, man. I've seen a lot of videos of animals fucking people up." I was like, "You don't want to get fucked up by one of these things." And she's like, "She's like, hey Damon, look." And Damon's like, "Oh fuck, that's awesome." And I was like. Guys, be careful, man. You do not want to get fucked up by one of these goats, right? And I didn't know that these goats would fuck people up or not. I just seen videos of fucking rams and bulls and goats fucking people up on the farm. Well, or anything whatever. that has its baby with it, you need that to That was careful another with. thing that I was thinking. Because it had its babies. And it's like, you do not screw. I've been in between mother bears and their babies. Not in between, but Around. in that area. Yeah. And it scared the living daylights out of me. Yeah, exactly. These things have horns. Exactly. So but I they said, do look cute and cuddly. They do. <laughs> the big white fucking. They yeah. look like they're half goat, half yak. Yeah. Um, and then so, so the the goat starts coming towards me a little bit, looking all sweet and shit. And then all of a sudden, Maggie stood up. Finally, she notices. Yeah, and then the Maggie's a pit bull, and then the goat's whole face and demeanor change. She turns around and runs off, right? And my thought was, thank God. So we hiked down the mountain and then we see this couple and then we, they started talking to us and we told them about the goats and they're like, uh, oh man, you guys got lucky. Some guy got fucking, some guy got attacked by one of those last week and died or some shit or like two weeks ago. Yeah. I can't remember if he died or if he got, no, he died. Yeah, he died. He's not the only one that's gotten killed by one of those goats. Usually the the goats will just fuck you up real bad, but he got like stabbed in his liver or his wow. appendix yeah. or his fucking spleen or some shit, and it killed him. Uh, but they do have sharp little horns. And every time I get together with Damon on an adventure, lo and behold, the Grim Reaper shows up Yo. for a minute. Knock, knock, knock. And Damon, Damon's always like, come on, we weren't going to get stabbed by those. Damon's a typical fucking, <laughs> like, like the guy in the horror film, it's like, you hear a click and it's like, huh, what was that? And it's like, come on, man, let's get out of here. He's like, no, come on. It's quit being a sissy. We're going to go investigate. Come on, <laughs> let's go check the shit out over here. What's going on over here? Uh, that, was, that, was, that was fun. That was a great, great hike, man. That was incredible. That yeah. was Every time hike. we get together, we have something epic happen, like car breakdowns. Yeah, of course. Podcasts. Why not? Yeah. That's how we do. So... Yeah, man, fucking, uh, so, man, has the fucking coronavirus affected your business? What business? <laughs> oh! 
That's what I'm talking about. Has it affected your work? Yeah, man. Um, And I knew that. uh, I kind of was getting a little more freaked out before everyone else in America was because I have uh, friends on a Discord server who are global. So I was getting information all the way from Kuwait and Italy and France and Scotland, and I was hearing what was happening in these countries as well as I was paying attention to China, like, really heavily for some reason. I just had found a couple YouTube channels that sparked my interest and was like, what is going on here? You know, I was seeing the the videos of the welding of the people in their uh, apartment complexes. Yeah, crazy. And people being forced to take tests in their home or and getting pulled out of their home away from their family to yeah, go to a quarantine. The hospitals being completely overloaded. Nurses freaking out because they couldn't handle the overload. So I was like, okay, this looks kind of freaky. And then all my friends in Europe were like, guys, pay attention. Like, you know, this is scary. And so my wife, I told my wife, we got to stock up. We got to get get some respirators and get some food. And this was before even California shut down because Cali was the first state to say, like, stay at home, you know, stay at home orders. Yeah. Um, So before that, I was kind of preparing. And my wife and I were like, hey, we should pull out money. We should get some weapons. We should prepare for people in Los Angeles to get crazy if this disease is as bad as they say it is. People are going to go crazy because they're going to lose their jobs. They're not going to have money. They're going to be having domestic disputes. There's going to be child abuse. There's going to be starvation. There's going to be people having mental issues because they can't see their. I knew all this was coming. So we were preparing. And you guys live in the NoHo Arts District, which is. Yeah, half a mile, a mile away from some really gangster ass yeah. shit. We're not in downtown LA, but we're also not in like the safest area. Hey, but North Angeles. Hollywood and Van Nuys are back in the gang era. Those are the most, you know, outside of East LA and South Central. Those, those are some nasty fucking areas. Yeah. So we we kind of knew something was was on the brew and then california got locked down and i had actually said my last day at work i think it was like march 11th and we had been talking about it i had brought it up at work i said something to everyone and i was like oh it's nothing we really got to worry about and i was like i don't know guys like i don't think i'm gonna see you next week they're like yeah whatever i didn't see them next week because our shoots got canceled of course um and then it was one, you know, it was one client, then another client, then another client. It was just like a domino of like all my clients just starting to cancel. And I was like, all right, this is how it is. And then I was like, well, I must be able to apply for unemployment. Like they just forced me out of work. So I tried. I tried to apply for unemployment and I got declined right off the bat because I'm a gig worker. And I didn't know at that point that there was going to be this, you know, pandemic relief response from the government with the cares act and the ppp and you know the extra perk for gig workers that eventually kicked in end of april so i went about almost uh six seven weeks without knowing if i would make any money at all during this pandemic um so yeah it's been it's been rough i haven't had an ounce of work in my photography career since the whole thing started and that was march 13th that california got so i know you probably don't want to go into it but tell them a little bit about your photography career who do you shoot for damon well i shoot for too many clients jeremy but i know which client you want me to talk about talk about it well one of the clients that i do work for occasionally 
is Holly Randall, who shoots for Playboy. So we've shot for them a lot, which has been interesting. We've gotten to do a lot of really amazing trips, worked with some really great cinematographers. and Now tell us about them hoes, dog. I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're just hoes, dog. What's to say about them, man? <laughs> he, he's a like Damon's a lot more. Uh, he's a lot more PC than me. Yeah, he's not super PC. Some of us has have different interests than hoes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know, I'm just playing. No, but for real, um, I've you know I've worked for Playboy in the past. Um, so that did you ever do do anything for Penthouse or Hustler or anything? We we've worked for a couple other companies in the past. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so all of our work got shut down. All of our shooting got shut down. And that was, you know, one client after the other, my stop motion clients shut down. All of my commercial photography gigs got shut down. All of the conventions that I shoot got shut down. Like I just saw all of my work disappear like within a week. And you also do shit for Lego, right? Yeah. So that's the stop motion studio. Like, just like I was saying, I have a lot of clients. There's also yeah. like climbing magazine I've worked with and urban climber and dead point magazine and rock and ice. Damon's and a photography pimp. So yeah, with the Legos, that's with digital wizards. So, um, you can look them up on YouTube. They're easy to find. Check out the Jurassic park video and ghostbusters videos and just laugh your asses off. Those are, you know, passion projects, ones, yeah. passion projects, but we'll watch those on the big screen tonight. Cool. Um, so yeah, all all the studio work just shut down, man. And you know, first it was fifteen days, then it was thirty days, and now it's been I think we're going on one hundred and ten days now. I haven't had a job, one hundred twenty. So yeah, we're getting we're getting there. Yeah, <clears throat> and I'm I'm just hearing constantly about more and more friends who are getting laid off, tenured employees who are getting laid off now because they make the most at the company. So these employees are now getting laid off because companies can't afford high payroll anymore. They need to hire new people at minimum wage. A lot of people I know are losing their businesses. They're they're small businesses. Um, I've had to apply for small business loans. I've applied for small business grants. It's been difficult. Some of these things have taken like multiple days of work just to get the, Mm -hmm. the information or get through to these people. Um, it's not easy. And then on top of it, when you're hearing of people like, oh, the Lakers or Shake Shack or Ruth Chris Steakhouse applying for grants and loans and they get it, what yeah. kind of asshole even applies for that when there's actual real small businesses like yeah. real humans out there who need this? Yes. You know, so I'm seeing all my friends' businesses collapse and every day you're hearing about someone's business collapsing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's pretty shitty. Um, yeah, I, I don't like the whole China connection because I'm, I'm going to get a little, you know, you know me with my conspiracy. Oh, man. I, and I dove into China right at the beginning of this, like very heavy. So so because I know that, you know, Fauci, Obama, these guys were all, you know, Bill Gates, Clinton Foundation, all these people, they have their dealings with China and there's like photos of Obama and labs in Wuhan and shit like that. Like, I've started to wonder, like, I'm not saying that the virus isn't real because I believe that it's very real. Um, But at the same time, I believe a lot of the panic, the terror, the, uh, the, you know, the sheer, like, propaganda of it is totally fucking manufactured. Like, it's like, 
it's it's literally they're trying to blow it out of fucking proportion. Well, and I wonder if because we know the deep state was in collusion with China for sure, because the deep state is all about Marxism and communism and all that shit. So they were selling us out to China. And that's what Hillary Clinton's emails are all about and all these people and in, 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 in that nature. And, and that's why, you know, all the trade wars are now happening because America had something going with China that was off the record that was was benefiting the Communist Party. And so I wonder if a lot of the, the fear that is now, you know, you know, being cast over our country was initially started in China like and without even like a like a, a a really crazy amount of people getting sick because a lot of people believe more people got sick than they are telling us about. I'm starting to believe a lot less people got sick or or fatally sick rather. Let's see because a lot of people can get sick. I I felt like I got sick in November from whatever the fuck was going on with the COVID thing, and it was nasty. But I feel like a lot less people got fatally sick by this and, and looking at all the tampered numbers and all that shit we know about now in our country. So I'm beginning to wonder if they initially started manufacturing the fear propaganda in China to get people scared. It's a good it's a good theory because uh, what I've been saying to my friends and family since the start is look at what is happening to the people in China, <clears throat> the citizens and all the they barely have any rights as it is yes. but they're, they're they're losing the little ones they had and that's what Xi Jinping wants to do he wants to completely control its citizens and have them do whatever he wants for not anything like there's so many people in poverty there's the Uyghur camps up north with who knows how many millions of people up there right now um, but yeah I think that's a that's a good theory to bring up because you could create a lot of fear in that country very yes. easily because all the media is state run. So the CCP is the one who majorly funds most of the state mouthpieces for the, for the newspapers and the news reports. Everyone is watching and they're all learning it in school from a young age. So it's easy to create fear there, fear there and which is helping them get to this, you know, the masks, they have their own thing, put the mask on, get the tracking app. Pretty soon it's going to be, get the COVID pass pretty soon it's going to be get the vaccine because china will probably finish the vaccine first they're going to want to oh yeah they are going to mandate they're going to want to finish it first they need people. to look like the hero also oh, of course so because everyone... they have a lot of a lot of people are, are are you know naysaying them now too yeah so they they want to be the hero they're going to rush their vaccine also and um one of the companies i forget which one was sinovac um they've got a bunch of lawsuits in their past for making i think it was baby formula uh-huh. that was uh killing babies uh at a very alarming rate and McDonald's then mcdonald's their... finding human meat in their fucking burgers yeah, man, i mean there's there's a lot so much and do you know about those 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 empty cities have you in china yeah those? i saw a whole a documentary can, about like, them can like house like Five million, and people some of them like have that? like twenty five thousand citizens in them. They have some people living in. Some that, of them are completely abandoned. It's like, what would you build those big at? Like, see, because you know, my my crazy conspiracy mind goes straight to, oh, these guys are gonna fucking poison because they. I think they were driving up the streets 
spraying some crazy kind they of like were. pesticides. I don't know what it was on the streets. Supposedly, man. it was a disinfectant type situation, like that would kill it. That's what we'd like to believe. Yeah, but it's also like I saw this thing about Putin installed this like bar above a doorway in a tunnel that all of his people have to come into, and it sprays everyone. So there is some kind of disinfectant that can be sprayed that some countries have figured out that works. I don't know why they're not spraying shit here. I don't want <laughs> them to. I'm willing to risk it. It's, no, that's also true. That's also true. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised that they try. I mean, we already of got course. the masks. We got the COVID tracking apps that installed on all your iPhones. Hey, people. Uh, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't updated either. I. I hey, but it, I'm sure. It says, you, uh, Check your update, this and that, and like, like now it's like like uh, time to update. We're gonna get that. stuck in the Stone Age, bro. And I'm like, and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh. But I bet eighty percent of your listeners right now already have a COVID tracking app installed on their phone. Oh yeah. Did you all know that? Mm. Yeah. Fuck. I bet that, you didn't. <laughs> I'm sticking with the old the old operating system for for now. I won't even update yeah. it my freaking iPad because that thing comes. So now the now the the tracking apps are out. The masks are on. You know, we're, what is this month four, and we finally have mask mandates. Jesus, that's also brilliant. Yeah, that, that right. That, yeah, and mass mandating masks Muzzle four months mandate. into the into the four months into the pandemic. That's when you do it, right? When you yeah. you know mandate stuff like that. Not day one. <laughs> but what's really crazy though? What's really crazy though is the WHO, the CDC, Doctor Fa- you know, Doctor Fucking Vatican, uh, Knight Fauci, the fucking Jesuit Fauci, who doesn't serve the American people, he serves the fucking Pope, pedophile palace. All of these people, dumbass Deborah Burke, freaking all these people have said masks don't work. So it's like, why are we wearing them? And then here's another thing: is they want to. They're releasing fucking convicts, sex offenders, and, and you know violent offenders from prison. But I thought we were supposed to be quarantining. I thought we were supposed to be social distancing. Can't you just throw those motherfuckers a mask? Since masks work so well, and isolation, they they, they could social distance. If they sat six feet apart in the cell, it's fine, right? Th- just that's... like at the restaurants, if we sit six feet apart and don't have your mask on, it's fine. But if you're gonna leave and go to the bathroom, put your damn mask on. Because COVID will get you. Yeah, that, that's exactly. That's what I'm saying. There's just all these weird draconian measures being taken, and shit's just not adding up. So we're going to let rapists and, and people, that, violent offenders and molesters out. But if you go to the beach or you show up without a mask, you're a criminal. Fuck off, dude. And there's and then there's like a large portion of people that are supporting this shit. It's like, like how do you guys... And a lot of these people think they're like on the inside. No, it's like you guys get all your fucking information from the mainstream media. Like you don't know shit. Like you're not like privy to like the secret message because fucking uh, Stephen Colbert tells it to you or some shit. It's like, dude, you're getting it from the mainstream media. And it's already been proven on a multitude of uh, instances throughout our history that people with an abundance of power, 90% eight percent of the time fucking abuse it like people don't want to believe they could be fooled or they could be tricked or they could be deceived or that these people would do to them because they need us to work for them and this and that i got a news flash for you all the billionaires and trillionaires don't fucking need your ass they got all the money already they're not worried about it what they want now is power they want full control so I just don't get how people don't put this shit together. It's like we fall for the same fucking bullshit century after century, 
And then these same people, when all this shit goes down, with whatever bullshit they're going to pull, because they're going to pull something, these people will be the ones that will be running around going like, oh my God, how did this all happen? Right? Yeah, man. I mean, it's going to take, for a lot of people, it's going to take something something to affect them personally. Like me, for instance, my wife and I, we got affected personally by all this shit that's going on. We now have to leave our city. We now don't know what our future is. My career now is completely different. My my skill has been, I've been deemed non-essential by the government. Thank you guys. I put all this hard work and toil into my, my life and my career and I'm fucking non-essential. Thanks. Because yeah. of because of something you you guys probably fucking created. Well, well, not only that, but like then I get this heat all the time. Oh, you're in, inconsiderate. What about if you could save lives? This and that. And I was like, Yeah, great. If I could save lives, sure, I might do that. But here's another thing, because people want you to believe their lives are more important than yours, and if not, you're selfish and you're a sociopath or you're a narcissist. Where I'm like, wait a second, guys, you guys have been at risk for a while. And if you're severely at risk, that means you've been living on borrowed time. So you should count every day as a fucking blessing, right? So, whereas, and, and on top of that, you guys should be taking the proper supplements, eating a proper diet, getting, you know, even if you can't exercise, walk, do something. Do something with yourself if you're at risk. I don't know why everyone else wants to impose this bullshit on other people it's like okay hey we're, we're too lazy to do it the right way so you guys got to make sure we're safe it's like no fuck you stop being lazy and do it the right way and you won't have to rely on on liars that are making a killing off pharmaceutical industries to come in and tell you how this works and how that works because none of those guys are talking to you about immune system or immune health they're talking to you about lockdown essential jobs, uh, contact tracing, and all these laws. And then there's this large group of what I like to call just useful idiots supporting this stuff, not seeing the game being played in front of them. And I know a lot of people get offended by this stuff, but it's like, hey, dude, this is psychological warfare. I don't give a shit if you believe it or not. That doesn't mean it's not happening. Just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it's not happening. And there's been plenty of signs in my lifetime for me to believe there is definitely opposing forces working in the background that have specific plans, and they are at fucking war right now. And we are suffering because of it. And we're suffering even more because a percentage of people like to fall for the old okey-doke, sleight-of-hand magic trick that these guys put on us. So they start supporting all these fucking rules and regulations when really we could be like, oh, hell no, you ain't doing that to us. We are willing to risk it. We've been fine so far our whole lives. Why well, are we going to get – Here's a good and point, And fear actually. will kill you quicker than any. Yeah, for, what you're just touching on was there's people who will support this narrative vehemently uh, on the computer or safe at home. Yeah. But – when it comes to going out in public, what I've seen is a lot of people who are pretending to care about this pandemic. Because I believe that too. People are wearing handkerchiefs on their on yeah. their face. They're wearing masks that come in a box that say this will not 
prevent you or anyone else from getting COVID-19. It says it on the damn box, yes. people. Look at it now, please. Look at the box. Look at the box of the ear loop masks. That's a surgical mask. It's not an N95 respirator. You all do know that. That's the mask that the, the professionals have told us to leave alone, the ones that actually work. So there's all these people doing that. I still don't see uh, hand sanitizer at every single aisle in the grocery store. I don't see people walking around the grocery store cleaning every single surface all the time. I don't see people social distancing in the grocery store. Oh, God. And then I haven't been to a restaurant, but I've heard what restaurants are like. That does not sound like people who really freaking care about a pandemic that is, quote unquote, killing everyone or making everyone sick. So that's it's these people who are half caring about it, because most of the time. Some people will walk up to a store and not even bring their mask with them because they don't even fucking think yeah, about it. Because they're guys. deep down, don't really fucking care. It's not that they don't care. They're just not falling for it. It's like, you know, Hollywood, you know, which is ran by the CIA, ladies and gentlemen, newsflash. Hollywood has got us so prepped with shit like, you know, pandemic, 28 days later, Fucking. Oh, and we binged on those movies as yeah. soon as this thing hit, man. Yeah, you know, I had a like, list of end-of-the-world movies I was everybody's watching. Everybody's <laughs> just gotten so conditioned by these narratives by Hollywood that, you know, they, they think that that's how it's going to go. Well, newsflash, ladies and gentlemen, viruses react, in, in depending on the virus, similar fashions with our immune system. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of times when, we, when we've had, you know, scourges and plagues in the past, we're dealing with people, do we know about their immune health? I mean, I can kind of imagine, you know, in the middle of winter in the 1600s, in the middle of a fucking East Coast town where, you know, food is nil and, and all this shit, people's immune systems are probably shot to fucking high hell. So, yeah, they're going to catch the fucking Black Plague or, or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Indians are going to catch smallpox after you fucking slaughter their whole family in front of them. You drag them from their, their, their homeland then you, you into a fucking reservation where you're starving them. You've made them go to war with you. They're all fucking – they're shivering and freezing and cold. Their fucking immune system has been shocked to high hell. They're barely holding on. Of course they're going to catch smallpox. But let's see you roll up with poison blankets on the beach in the Nina the Pinta and the Santa Maria when they got full fucking blown immune systems. Probably not going to have effect on them at all. People don't think about shit like that. People don't know about naturopathic health. And, and so a lot of people are scared. And when people are scared, they don't think rationally. And they don't like to think that they can get played. They, we like to think that we're more important than we really are. Did we you are, did you go like right when this pan sorry to interrupt when you that's fine. when the pandemic hit I interrupt go, all the time. Did you go buy any supplements or vitamins right off the bat? Fuck yeah, I bought yeah. I bought chloroquine. <laughs> are you kidding me? I got I got a bottle we, of chloroquine at my house. We bought a bottle of vitamin C and vitamin D because we knew But I was already up, taking supplements. I, yeah, we stay healthy as is already. But we went and bought extra because we're like, what Fuck if this yeah. runs out at the store? We should get vitamin Yep. D and vitamin C. Yeah. And we did. We pumped ourselves full of that shit Tell for a you, month. I still am. We I broke out freaking supplements right we now during the podcast. We just had some supplements, exactly. Vitamin A, vitamin D, zinc, yeah. vitamin C. And my wife and, and I, I gave him a multivitamin pack My as wife well. and I made sure to eat really good while we were at home because we knew we weren't getting yeah. the exercise we needed because we were stuck at home. Yeah. We went on our walks with our dog around the neighborhood. 
but we ate a lot at home. We weren't eating out anymore. I know McDonald's were still essential. Oh, yeah. But gyms aren't. Yeah, give me a break. Nobody talked about- But we about, stayed home and we ate healthy because we knew that's about key. How, yeah, nobody talked about how sh- processed sugars or fast food or dairy, you know, garbage dairy or gar- you know, garbage gluten or any of this shit can lower your immune system. Any of these potato chips and candies and all this shit can fuck you Where's over. Where's the protests for that? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Where, where were people eight months ago when fucking, you know, what was that? Uh, tuberculosis came back or polio or any of this shit. Nobody gave a fuck, dude. Now all of a sudden everybody's a champion of this on a virus that has a point zero three, which I think is probably point zero one because of all the, the tampering with the death rates and all, all the bullshit shit that they've been doing and, 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 and uh, you know, f- funeral parlors and hospitals and all this garbage that they've been doing there. I like to think it's probably at point zero one, you know? So it's like, come on, man. And, and like people are just blatantly ignoring this and, and parroting out with fucking, you know, all these mainstream media sources are telling them and just this fear porn. And again, fear will kill you quicker than all this. And they're willing to give up all their fucking rights. They're willing to live like fucking prisoners just to stay alive. Well, I got a newsflash. I'm willing to go down swinging than live like a fucking prisoner, dude. I'm sorry. I'd rather fucking die of my own accord than live my life like a lot of the people in China are living their and lives And that's why I'm, I'm leaving L.A. And that's yeah. why I made that decision because L.A. feels ex- <coughs> extremely tense right now. <coughs> extremely tense. Oh, no, I got that wrong. Man, I mean, everyone's going back to work, and it's weird. People's businesses are getting reshut down. People are going back to work having to take tests multiple times a week. Yeah, it's like, manufactured. You know, my dude. sister's boyfriend is testing twice a De- day. Humanizing us. Twice a day he's taking a coronavirus test. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I had to leave, man. Like, I'm not willing to do these things anymore. Like I'm, I'm trying to follow my soul. And you know what? And I hear when people are like, Oh, well, but we got to take all these necessary precautions and this and that. I get where you guys are coming from. I really, and we all should take our own proper precautions that make you feel comfortable. If you feel comfortable doing something, go ahead and do it. And I've told this to my mom too, because my mom been talking a lot lately and she has different viewpoints on the masks and stuff like that. But we've had really good discussions and I always tell her, you should do what makes you feel safe. And yeah. that is most important. For obviously. Sure. But what I tell her all the time is keep out of everyone else's business. For sure. Because we're all here in this free country. Yes. And you do your thing and let them do their thing. And I don't think a lot of And people- if you don't feel safe, don't go to that place anymore. Wherever this place is that people aren't making you feel safe. Yeah. Just don't go. I, I, and I don't think a lot of people understand the value of a free country, a free country where you're allowed to the right of freedom of speech or the right to bear arms. And what's happening in places like Australia and China and Europe and, 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 and Britain and all these places right now, these Canada, all these places are getting fucked five ways from Sunday with no fucking Vaseline, dude. And oh, down uh, in Australia, now they got doctors and nurses going door to door. My friends, my friends sent me a video from down there in Australia. I got buddies down there. What is going on in communist countries and in Nazi Germany? And people aren't getting it. There's a reason why immigrants from all over the world have came to this country. I'm not a registered voter, 
but I am a patriot in a weird way because patriotism to me has nothing to do with our fucking government and everything to do with our countrymen and the, the constitution. People, and, yeah, and the constitution and the people in this country. The constitution tells me I have a right to freedom of speech, so I don't have to fucking vote, you know? And a lot of people are like, oh, well, then you should shut your fucking mouth about political issues. And I'm like, no, that's not how that works. I chose not to be part of this game. And I, so I have still every have an right opinion. to criticize. You can have an it. opinion. Yeah, I have every right Everyone to criticize. Everyone has it. the right to have an opinion. You know, until this game gets put in its proper order. You I'm, know what opinions are like? Assholes. Assholes. Everyone's got one. And mine might smell like shit to a lot of people. It does. And I get it. And I and I know sometimes I have to backtrack on some shit. I I have to say I'm willing to learn new shit. Absolutely. Right. That's what we're doing right now, man. But the value of freedom is so important, and I I just don't think all these little tiny steps we just keep giving. Just chipping these away at the block yeah, of just freedom. Chipping and... away. People want you to just keep doing this. It's not about me not wearing a mask to not help people. It's me taking a stand for like, fuck that shit. Stay out of my business. Sorry. Get off my land. If you're so worried about it, take better care of your health. Uh, but I'm immune compromised. Then keep stay out of stay out of the public. Then you stay home. You're stay the person home, that dude. needs to stay home and social Bam. distance. Yeah, you you know they 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 they're giving unemployment and they're doing other stuff to help people. And even you beyond unemployment be for people, people who are sick. Don't destroy my life because you are not strong enough to take care of yours. That's all I'm saying. And if I can prevent, you know, if I can stay away from you, I'm not going to walk up on you. I'm not going to be disrespectful. I'll wash my hands. All this exactly. stuff, dude. and that's the things that we do con- continue to do, and I do also. I, I, you know, I spray some hand sanitizer after I leave the market, and I keep my distance from people. I'm not going to encroach on people, but also don't don't make a comment to but, me, and yeah, I won't make a comment to you. And the same motherfuckers that are forcing masks on us are the same motherfuckers that are releasing prisoners from from uh, prisons. Dangerous felons and giving twenty-two billion-dollar loans to yeah. the airlines, G- giving out bailouts. Not even a loan. Bailouts. bailouts. They're telling people that they'll go to jail if they go to the fucking beach, and they're the same motherfuckers that are sticking COVID patients and elderly homes, knowing that the elderly are the most compromised. So for me to sit here and listen to these fucking scoundrels about a mask, I'm like, fuck off. Y'all are tampering with statistics. You guys are releasing prisoners when you could be social distancing them and making them wear these masks that work so fucking well. And you're sticking COVID patients in elderly homes. And you knew before you did that what the fucking There's thing many. So it's almost like you're doing this shit on purpose. Too many stupid decisions have blatantly been made that even are on the mainstream media. If you just yep. go back and watch mainstream media from the last four yep. months and pull on, clips from— back for the last four years. Pull any, any broadcast network. It doesn't matter. And just see one opinion from one week, and it changes the next week, and it changes the next week, and it changes the next week. Which one do you want us to believe? At that point, I don't believe any of them. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's a flood of information. And that would be the same thing if my parents were telling me one thing one week and they told me the next thing the next week, it's completely different. This is how you do it. No, this is how you do it. No, this is how you do it. I would stop believing my parents. Yep. And we have the most faith in our parents because they're the ones who raise us. But if you see your mom blatantly changing the story every fucking week, you'd start to question her. Absolutely. (laughs) And maybe you go be like, Grandma – why does you maybe go above mom or like go to your aunt and your uncle and be like, what? I don't know what's going on anymore. Yeah, man, it's it's a crazy time. And I, and I feel like, too, we're like it's this is to me because I always look for the root cause of everything. Like like people are like, oh, quarantine, wear a mask, do this. I'm like, fuck that shit. Attack it at the root, dude. Take the supplements. 
to eat good and exercise. That's the root right there. Let's focus on the root. Let's also try and not be full of fear and scared. That's another thing that'll get you sick. Focus on the root. So like when we're dealing with all this shit, like I want to focus on the root. I don't want to know the fifth problem in society. You know, if people were really paying attention, there wouldn't have been this lot like the empty food markets. Like my wife and I did a lot of shopping before we got locked down because oh, me too. We were paying attention a year before I had four months worth of food. Yeah. Uh, some people just aren't paying enough attention to certain things. Yeah, and I and I feel like, you know, with this whole fucking thing, man, I think it's like choose your own adventure and then back to attacking the root. I look for the things that aren't so easy to find. Number one, spiritual, mental, and emotional. You can't see thoughts, you can't see emotions, and you can't see spirits. Some people can. Um, but I believe that this is all boils down to like spiritual warfare you know and, and human consciousness which is which which is a fusion of the mental and the spiritual and and us being able to keep our emotions in check this is a big test for for a lot of it's us a, it's a reset man and you can let the reset just happen like let the let the world reset because this is that is what happened yeah not noticed the world's in some weird reset right now people or you can take it into your own hands and do your own damn reset. If you're not happy with what you're doing, make a change. Yeah. Make a stand for yourself. Well, what I've said to a lot of people over the years is like, you know, people are like, oh, you do this, you do that. You, I could never meditate. I could never work out. I could never do this. Like, oh, your diet is so strict or this and that. And, you know, and, and, and here you go. I, I cheat a little bit here and there every once in a while. But for the most part, I'm really fucking disciplined. And, and I discovered a while back. If I take my suffering into my own hands by doing things that I know are good for me that I don't want to do, cold showers, you know, 30 minutes in the sauna, think, you know, heavy workouts, whatever, things I don't want to do, I'm taking my suffering into my own hands. Guess what? Nature's not taking it into its hands because everybody's going to have a degree of suffering that they're going to have to go through. Now, if, if I'm taking the suffering into my own hands, I'm suffering a little bit here, a little bit there, what I'm doing is I'm building my immunity up to, my spiritual immunity up to suffering and trials and tribulations. And now I'm taking the balance of the good and the bad in my life into my own hands instead of sitting back and relying on the whim of nature or things that are out of my control. I'm doing what little I can to take some of that suffering into my own control. And a lot of people may not see it that way. A lot of others do. And and pe this you, you want a cheat code, I'm giving you guys a cheat code. Take your suffering into your own hands. Start challenging yourself. Start doing things that you know are good for you that you don't want to do. And you'll be more prepared for shit like this. And then next thing you know, you'll be in touch with your surroundings and you'll Oh, shit, man, I should go buy this food, which I did a year before it, before even COVID hit. Yeah. I had food and water stacked up, dude. Some just told me something's going to happen in 2020. Get ready. Because for two reasons, 2020 means perfect vision, which means our eyes are going to open up to something. And 2020 also means 22 because zeros don't count numerology. 22 is the master builder number. They are trying to rebuild our civilization, ladies and gentlemen. So I knew that be coming into 2020. 
They're going to open our eyes and shit is going to change. I didn't know how. I just knew it, man. Well said. So, yeah, man. Fucking, uh, I don't know. You got anything else you want to talk about? All right. So, I guess one last piece that kind of ties into why I've made uh, a little journey up north uh, out of L.A., and I've been, it's funny because I've been sending my friends since the beginning of the pandemic. I've been sending my friends the cover of Escape from L.A. And huh. <laughs> telling them, just wait, man. I'm going to get my surfboard out and ride a lava wave out of here. Grab my wife and my dog and we're out. Yeah. Escape from L.A., man. It's happening. Um, right before lockdown. That's the way I felt when I was moving to Kauai, dude. Like, I right. just felt like, I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I think here. when people leave, they're... It's like overdue, you know? Yeah, man. You feel like impending doom. I felt impending doom. I was like afraid I, I wasn't going to be able to leave L.A. I felt yeah. like everything was trying to pull me back. I, mean, and I, know I, had, I did have a good life there. Yeah. Pre-Kauai. I was yeah. busy. I made money. And, you know, I had a bunch of girlfriends and tons of friends. It was going out. I was having the fucking time of my life. I just knew at that point I needed to change because I needed spiritual growth and I needed personal growth. Which meant I needed to challenge myself. Yeah. And that city is not a great place for spiritual But I growth. felt like I wasn't going to be able to leave. No. it's Yeah, it's a trap. Um, but right before that, I got, asked, I got asked to volunteer. So I volunteered my time to uh, shoot Tony Robbins' 60th birthday charity event. Which nice. was cool because I really love Tony Robbins. Like I've seen him talk a lot at a lot of different events I've photographed. So I've had the opportunity to see him talk a lot, which most people don't. He's a great man. He's a big man too. Uh, he's powerful. I've heard. Yeah. Um, and his message is true. Like he's true to himself. Um, but he had this charity event for his 60th birthday and I was there shooting it, you know, formal, uh, black tie event. And you know, there's big wigs there, big, big deal people. And I was shooting the red carpet. I didn't, I'm not in the scene, so I don't recognize most of these people, but I knew some faces looked familiar, so it's, I probably saw them somewhere. But in this, during this event, uh, at the meat of it, he had Tim Ballard come out, who runs Operation Underground Railroad. Mm. And he's a vet, and he saw some things while he served his country, and he saw some things that he couldn't do anything about while he was in service. And he's since formed this foundation where him and a group of other vets get together with local government officials and local police forces. And they go into other countries to break up sex trafficking rings and rescue children. Mm -hmm. And I've had, I've, I'll admit I've had blinders on for a long time, like being a rock climbing photographer, writing backpacking books and working on Lego stop motion. It's very easy to, not have to pay attention to the current events in the world and what's going on, you know? You and a lot of my other family members have I know. spent years arguing with me. Yeah. I, I don't know if I personally argued with you. you. Really argue I, with I like me. to listen to you. Yeah, you'll let me, you'll <laughs> let me rant, but a lot of times, yeah, okay. Yeah, no. okay, Jeremy. But, okay. you know, like, I, <laughs> I will listen to people, like, you know. But, um, yeah, I've had my blinders on. So this was something that I, I wasn't – freaking aware of man i mean i knew it was something everyone knows in the back of their head this this kind of stuff happens but i saw you know footage that he from you know a movie that he's helping put together and then he showed 
footage from Tony a rescue. Robbins is putting it together? No, no, no. Tim Ballard, the guy who okay. runs Operation Underground Railroad. Okay. He's putting a movie together that'll be out eventually. Um, and he showed some footage from a couple rescue operations. And it was really emotional, man. Like, I was down on a knee in the arena because I was trying to duck down so people could see the video movie screen on the stage. So I'm just doing my thing, just watching it. And dude, it just hit me. It like, it teared me up. I've never broke out in tears on a job. There's no reason uh-huh. I should be crying on a job, but the lights were off and I could tell everyone in, in this whole place was crying. Like mm-hmm. this hit everyone. And it made me realize like, there's not many things in this world, like problems in this world that every single person agrees on. Like right now, coronavirus, BLM, people disagree left and right on everything. But when it comes to this kind of stuff with children, everyone feels the same. So it hit me really hard. Almost everyone. Almost everyone. There's a lot of people that are obviously, obviously. But that's the people who are, yeah. There's people who are the problem, and there's blinders, which is fine. You know, these people who are just existing. I was one of them. 2020 is going to force their yeah, eyes open. Yeah, it's going to force their eyes open. But I got home and I told my wife about it that night, like how it hit me and how it made me feel and that, you know, made me emotional. And this is, it was amazing how much money they raised so fast that night. Like we're talking $10 million in like 45 minutes or something. It was like, this is amazing. Like people are coming together and donating money so they can keep doing this because they basically have a price tag per mission. Like they know how much it costs now to get these missions done. They're so fine tuned and they're always successful missions. It's amazing. Um, so I that was fresh in my mind right before coronavirus. Four days later, I started feeling sick. And I went into it freaking out, and I told all my friends, should I even take this job? Like, coronavirus is all over the world except America. Um, aren't Shouldn't we be, like, closing down? All these other countries are closing down. So my friends are like, don't worry. Just, like, wash your hands and, like, you know, stay away from people. And it's like, I can't stay away from people. I'm a photographer. I got to meet, I got to shake people's hands. I probably got to hold some people's phones to do like pictures for them so they can have it on their phone. And that's exactly what happened. I shook a lot of hands, held a lot of people's phones. I went through my entire bottle of hand sanitizer. (laughs) (laughs) Killed all the good bacteria on your body. Yeah, exactly. So I felt sick four days later and I had a dry cough and a sore throat and shortness of breath for like two, three weeks, dude. Yeah. And I was stressing out because it was fresh in America and we're being told this was my job was at the end of February. So we're talking first week. Yeah. So we're talking first week of March. We're talking first week of March. The it's right on the cusp of hitting America everywhere else. It's everyone's freaking out. So I was getting worried and I completely forgot about what I experienced at that event with seeing operation underground railroad. So come full circle during this whole experience of being stuck at home and not having a job and nothing to freaking do. I, me and my wife both knew we needed to teach ourselves something. It's like, we have time. Let's learn something, whether it's, this is pre quarantine, right? Well, when quarantine happened. So this is during quarantine, during quarantine, we're like, we're going to have a lot of time. We're not going to be working. Yes, we knew this was going to be a long time. So we're Started like, the podcast. let's do something that is productive for us. 
or learn something new. Like Crystalline is like a magician knitter now. She made me the coolest huh. hat I've ever worn. That I get compliments all the time. Bitch, where my hat? <laughs> where my hat at, bitch? And we we slung like ten thousand dollars worth of my Lego. And you know I've been diving into topics that I've never dove into like full bore and talking to people that and spending more time talking to people that. I've, I'm close to, but now I want to talk even more because, you know, we have topics we want to share. And during this, I ran across Pizzagate dun, 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 and went down that whole rabbit hole. And it got me into watching a documentary you had sent me, finally watching a documentary you had sent me, which was Out of Shadows. Yeah. And I put it off for a couple weeks because I, I saw it was long. That's good for anybody who's worked in L.A. in the oh motion picture. Anyone who's watched Hollywood. a movie. I think anyone who's watched a movie should see that. Yeah. Out of Shadows on YouTube. Look for it. Find it. It's hard to find people because it's being censored. Yeah. It's very hard to find. But do your due diligence and find it and watch it. Out of Shadows. Yeah. Out of the Shadows. I'm sorry. Um, when I watched that, it made me sick to my stomach because companies I've worked for and companies I strived to work for were blatantly in that documentary with some very, very questionable actions. And it just made me sick to my stomach. And it's up to you people to go and watch this and see how it makes a you feel. A lot of people have seen it now. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty, pretty popular. It, it made me sick. It made me really, really sick. And it led me back to all that. And I ran across the veterans for child rescue. Same deal. A bunch of vets who saw some stuff that they couldn't do while they were in service for our country. And now they're taking it into their own hands. Yeah, I can imagine a lot of of military uh, people uh, in other countries. Dude, almost anyone. They're like, I could imagine a lot of them have seen a child sex trafficking in these countries fighting wars. I and called up a like, buddy of mine. And they're like, they're like, yeah, dude, this is fucked. I called dude. up and a buddy of mine and was like, I have been hitting him up constantly during this. He's ex, he's a retired vet. He served eight years, two tours. And I met him through a job and we became really tight friends. We share a lot of the same values and outlooks on life. And he shared with me some stuff about his tours in Afghanistan. And what he's told me and what I've heard, it just confirms all this stuff. You know, he was out there seeing things that he couldn't do anything about because he's serving his country. And that's really, really sad that there's stuff that's even worse than what they're serving their country for and they can't do anything about it. And it, it's up to them. Finding out that our country's behind it. Yeah, and it's up to them when they're done with their service for the country to take it into their own hands and do something about it. And yeah, like you said, it's a common theme. Like these, a lot of these vets have seen things that are terrible. Um, but yeah, it's kind of why I've migrated up here because I realize where I was living and the industry I was working in and the companies I was striving to work for were not all I thought they were, and I needed to get out. And that's why it feels like I've had an, a knee on my neck in Los Angeles for the last four months. Yeah, man, freaking uh, the whole. The whole, you know, child, you know, sex trafficking, pedophilia thing, you know, as you know, for years I've been outspoken about. I've been posting shit on Facebook for years. You know, I'll, I'll post a post with, you know, me with a smile, you know, drinking 
a fucking bottle of water and, you know, I'll get a thousand likes, a hundred likes, whatever, you know, 10 comments. I post something about, you know, pedophilia or child sex trafficking or, you know, you know, how I think that, uh, you know, what is that, uh, you know, where they, uh, circumcision is genital mutilation and causes trauma to young men, uh, us emotionally and mentally. Nobody will fucking like it. Nobody will comment no, it's, on it's, it. No, it's a topic that people don't want to breach. It's too much for a lot of people. 2020 is going to shove it down your fucking Yeah, I mean, now we have, uh, you know, Epstein was arrested and <clears throat> killed himself. Sure. Uh, it, back in 2007. I think he's still alive. 17, he was arrested. Oh no! Killed himself in 2019. I'm sorry, in uh, August this year, and now they recently captured Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah. So I'm really hoping some dominoes dominoes fall, man. Like I'm just tired of sounding crazy over here. Well, what's what's crazy is like you, myself, we don't have kids, and a lot of the people that give me pushback on some of the shit that I've posted over the time, they all have kids. I've even oh, had people say shit to me like, why are you so concerned with pedophilia? That's just kind of weird to me. It's like, well, why the fuck aren't you concerned about it? You got kids. Yeah. Like, time, you know, like, I'm concerned about it because people like you are running around listening to fucking mainstream media and Hollywood the perpetrators of all this shit, which is and barely in their lives, which is barely covered. You know, I'm here with a buddy and there is a certain news network we watch, which uh, I don't love. But he keeps saying, how come they're not talking about Ghislaine? How come they're not saying anything about Ghislaine? It's like because they don't want you to know, dude, they don't want you to know because they're part of it. And, you know, these people in these high places, you know, you got people like Don Lemon talking about how evil white people are and how evil white men are, and he's married to a white man. You got people like Anderson Cooper who grew up under the Vanderbilts, you know, whose, uh, you know, older brother may now be his sister, hint, hint, Kathy Griffin, um, who, you know, believed that fucking is, is, is connected to the Podestas because the Vanderbilt Mansion is where they were having these satanic uh, child orgies and and all this stuff. I mean, there's 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 pictures of the pool online. Uh, there's some weird picture of of Anderson with his older brother and his mom on a bed. She's reading to him. Oh, that was from like Vanity painting. Fair, I think. Yeah, yeah, underneath this painting, a really it wasn't even a paint, dude. That was weird a three D artwork it was yeah. like installation art An art installation that was a one of a kind clearly <laughs> of a magical and it doesn't give you and it was it's two not people like a good magical two people over a child's body ready to cut it open in this diorama that was one of a kind this is not an art piece you find in many people's homes it's creepy yeah so then you got it's people creepy like, you know and then you got like you know, rich people like Bill Maher talking about how they need to collapse the economy. And of course they do for him because he's not going to feel it. And then, you know, you got people like Dr. Fauci telling people, oh, yeah, we're going to need to lock it down and we're going to need to get vaccinated. Lock it down so the rest of my friends can lose their businesses. That's what's going to happen, really. Yeah. What we're really going to see is we won't see the lessening of and corona cases because there's really not that many corona cases anymore. The people who are dying, 
I think it's only like 700 a day in America. Sorry if I sound like a jackass for saying only, but we were at 3,500 a day at one point, and that was kind of freaky. And the, the, and the numbers were being tampered And with. the numbers were much lower at that point, too, with cases. But, yeah, now – where was I even going with that? I just got lost, man. I don't know. We, we, were, we were ranting about, you know, people like – you know, Bill Maher and, and, and people like Dr. Fauci, who's, you know, it's no big deal oh, for yeah, him to say lock down. us down lock and, us and down force again. feed vaccines. He's going to make a fucking killing on, on, on vaccines and, and pharmaceuticals and, and things like that. We're talking about people. We're dealing with comic book supervillains is what we're dealing with. And, and people have, have had the luxury to ignore it for most of their lives and put blinders on. And argue with people like me about it for years. And meanwhile, it's all unfolding in front of us. People like, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell. These are comic book supervillains. People like Bill Gates, Dr. Fauci. These are comic book supervillains here. You know, the Clintons and all these, you know, people, the Bushes. Comic book supervillains. They're doing things that are so far-fetched. It's impossible for people to believe them. Even if there's evidence, because that's not in our everyday lives. So we don't want to believe that people are that evil. Well, it just goes back to like, with the, you know, people being suspect of priests molesting yeah. boys in church. These and they were suspect. Yeah. It was suspect for years. It was just theory. And now it's a joke because everyone knows and we can just joke about it because it's so common they're, knowledge they're, they're, they're paying but that's abhorrent that's abhorrent yes. when i went to spain when i went to montserrat which i just was watching the hunting hitler documentary which anybody should watch hunting hitler you want to talk about a conspiracy watch hunting hitler i mean the, the evidence is there but they went to montserrat in spain which i went to when i visited i've Barcelona. driven by there it's beautiful yeah and, um, you know, the, the amount of statues of priests with two little boys hugging their legs, I mean, in Spain in general, in these cathedrals, was, it was disgusting to me because I knew then, and we're talking about, this is 10 years ago, yeah. you know? And I was already looking for shit like this because of, the you know, the five years before that of really stumbling onto this, thanks to people like David Icke and Alex Jones and... And, you know, Freeman Fly and, and, and all these, you know, uh, people that were getting this information out there. William Cooper and, and, and these people. And then so I was already looking for shit like this and looking for signs in the architecture and stuff like this. And this is when I barely knew about this stuff. And now it's like, like I said, since our, you know, experience in Kalalau, I have dove, spent the last seven, eight years. I don't know. How long ago was that? Eight years ago? Five. Was really? I, are you sure it wasn't 2014? We got married in 2015. It, it, was, it was five and a half, almost six years ago then. I know when I got married, Jeremy. Okay, but we, <laughs> five and a half. Five and a half. Five, okay, five and a half years ago. That's fair enough. Okay, so. <laughs> it's close so, enough. So the last five and a half years, spent 10 years diving down hard. The f last five and a half years, diving down obsessively deep diving right so like i already knew about this stuff pretty damn good enough to where 10 years ago i'm looking for the evidence in statues in spain and getting it well man I, like when you just said that it made me think of my experience in the vatican oh yeah that's right you went to the vatican i Tell went to the vatican it. and i was not 
you know, aware of everything I think that I am now, but we knew at that point what the priest had done, yeah. what's what's been done since it came out. But, you know, my mom wanted to go to the Vatican, and we went with her because she was okay with going to the mountains to go climbing with us. So it was yeah. like, we'll go what you want to do, you do what we want to do. Well, I would want to go to the Vatican, too. <laughs> I kind of didn't want to. I mean, from afar, I was cool with driving by and looking at it. I really wanted to go to the Coliseum. That's oh, where I really wanted to go. Oh, but, you know, we went to the Vatican, but I just felt disgusting in there. It just felt so gross and so creepy, and you're herded around like a cow, and it was so hot, and I felt like I was going to suffocate. But leaving, it just felt like didn't it was a get... dirty, evil place. Oh, no, you didn't get in trouble for taking pictures in there. I did get in trouble for taking a picture. Yeah, I was in St. Peter's Basilica. Did you keep the picture? I did keep the picture because iPhone had just updated and did uh, recently deleted. So the security guard who grabbed me and told me to delete my photos watched me delete my photos I took of the ceiling of the St. Peter's. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really care, whatever. So I don't get these pictures. But we walked out, and I looked in, and I was like, oh, yeah. You still have that picture? S somewhere on my computer. Cool. It's just a picture of – yeah, I mean, you can look it up on Google. It's St. Yeah. Peter's Basilica. It's I, I don't even know what I got. Um, but, yeah, I, it just felt like a terrible, rotten, horrible, filthy place just full of tyranny and disgust. Absolutely. And, it's you know, come to find out, like, as I've divin – dove deeper into all this stuff like the vatican is the source of a lot of freaking evil man 100 percent, dude what when you look when you watch if you watch hunting hitler yeah they go through how they siphoned the nazis the top dog nazis from you know through the catholic church yeah you know because when when you look at like you know wars and things like that the, the the Nazis their their worst enemies were communists. Well, what do communists do? They burn churches. So I don't know if they made some deal with the Nazis to protect the churches or yeah. whatnot, and that they would give them they would they would if anything bad. Because when you know about the Nazis, they have tunnels everywhere. That they, they, they were all about destroying evidence. Anything they did, they'd burn it. They they'd sink it in the ocean. Anything they would destroy it. They'd blow it up. Um, so they may have made a deal, which I believe they made a deal with the church uh, to uh, that if anything, ha they'll protect the churches or they'll protect their institutions. But they got to help them get out of out of uh, out of Europe yep. at the end of the war. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's very easy to see that happening. I mean, win win for everybody. Yeah. So when you're at the Vatican, did you see any like Egyptian statues and sculptures and shit? Like oh that? man, I wasn't paying that much attention. Uh, I yeah. kind of really just wanted to get the f out of there. I bet you now, if you went, you'd be looking at. Oh, a I'd be. Eye. You know what though? I don't know if I could because you're literally shuffled through there like a cow. You don't have time to stop and look at stuff. You are in a group of people that continuously moves, and you can't stop. That's why I said it felt like a cow. I felt like a cow. It's a horrible place to go and visit. Oh. It's a bad tourist destination. All in all, on top of the fact that it's a disgusting, evil, tyrannical place. I've, I've been calling it pedophile palace for years, man. Yeah. No, it's I, I, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And we went over to the Coliseum after that, so the day was fantastic. How was like, the Coliseum? Rad. It's so cool. Like, just to imagine, like, we had one of those audio tours on, on our iPhone, 
on speaker and I forget what the, who the author was, but he was giving you an audio tour of the place. So me and my family, we were all listening to it and it was pretty cool. Like just imagine like the stuff that went on back in the day, you know, these, Oh man. I mean, it's terrible that there were real humans fought, you know, fighting in the pits for their life. But also like just thinking of that time period, like what it was like to be alive and see that or be in the pit or like, who knows? Just, it's crazy. Well, here's something else for people to put in perspective. It's like, you know, a lot of times, you know, people want you to believe in innovation. They want you to believe in technology. And, and, and we've advanced so far with space and this and that. And I think space is a psyop. That's for another time. But um, uh, they want us to believe that we all oh, we have so much progress and evolution and we've done this and we've done that. But nobody wants you to believe that corruption or conspiracies have advanced. And I'm like, guys, let's take the Colosseum, for instance. You know, the, the, the rulers back then were bloodthirsty monsters. They put that up there, for one, because they like death, murder, and destruction. And for two, because it keeps people occupied. Entertained. And it also brings them in to their sick, weird death cult ceremonies, man. You know, when you're slowly desensitizing their citizens, when you're witnessing violence, like we've witnessed on television so many times since we were little kids or, or, you know, especially right now. And I think they had like, you know, like full blown, like they had like a, a celebration. I don't remember the name of it where like, you know, you could go out and rape people during a day and. You know, I'm sure they had like you so know, that's Saturnalia, or- something like that. <laughs> that's- yeah, public orgies, and you know, so they were, you know, conditioning people. They, you know, they've been MK ultraing people. For you know, look up MK Ultra guys, mind control ultra CIA. It's proven. It's out there. They've been MK ultraing the public for thousands of years. Yeah, you know, in and one form or another through entertainment. Yeah, exactly. And and you go back to Rome. Rome was was a civilization of actors, of politicians. So, you know, when we're dealing with, you know, politicians and and actors, here we go, Hollywood and the Senate, dude. We're dealing with actors. So people, you know, as I say all the time, you know, people interpret smiles and kind words because you and me speak in smiles and kind words and they're genuine. We interpret their smiles and kind words as genuine, and we feel like we know them because we've seen them on TV so many times. But the truth is, we know uh, what they're showing us. We don't know what's going on in their private lives. You know, and back to Epstein, how many of those people that went to visit his island did we feel like we knew through all the movies and all, you know, all the music they made and, and all this and that? You know, these were people in our pop culture. That were like iconic, and 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 in the modern day idols, you know, a lot of them have stars on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, and back to the stars, the pentagram, and things like that. These guys, they're actors. They're putting on a show, and a lot of people get caught up in what they think they know about their idols. But we should never be idolizing men because men make mistakes, women make mistakes. So this whole ceremony is thousands of years old and it's now coming to a head because 
you look at America, well, what is America? We, you know, we've got, we've got Semiramis, the whore of Babylon, the Statue of Liberty. Who is Semiramis? That's Nimrod's mother. Semiramis was fucking her son Nimrod, you know? And, and then we've got, you know, Roman architecture all over Washington, D.C., you know, and, and so, and what, what was Rome called? The Senate, you know? And so people may think that this is just, you know, oh, they just put that there because, you know, they want it to look cool. It's, it's not to look cool because they're this, this symbolism. is still, this is not just symbolism. It's the, these are letting people know we are the descendants of the Roman empire. We, we still have the eagle, which is really the phoenix and, and Rome had the eagle, right? Um, Rome was was in cahoots with Egypt, you know, uh, Caesar, Mark Antony, Cleopatra. What's all over our dollar bill? Egyptian symbolism, yeah. right? Uh, there's an obelisk out in front of of the uh, uh, of DC and, and stuff like that, you know, which is is the phallus of Baal, um, or at least to the occult, it's the phallus of Baal. What's the true origins of the obelisk? I don't know. I mean, maybe. You know, we, we listen to some of young Pharaoh's lectures. He gets into a lot of the Egyptian symbolism. And shout out to young Pharaoh. If you guys don't oh, know definitely. Him, young Pharaoh is on fire. Him and David Nino Rodriguez. Yeah, and I hope that I get to talk to young Pharaoh uh, at some point. I mean, I don't think I'm big enough in the conspiracy community for a lot of people to want to talk to me. But, you know, that's okay. You know, in time. Um because a lot of what I specialize in is psychological warfare and 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 symbolism and and you know I know a lot about you know and a little bit about a lot of it but at the same time I know about cult rituals uh, satanic cults symbolism uh, and psychological warfare and that's you know and I remember a lot of shit you know so it's coming to a head in 2020. September, November. And it, what's crazy is... Something's going to happen. I don't know. And, and me and Damon, and, 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 you know, Damon's right. We didn't argue, but... And David graciously listened to me a lot on my rants, you know. And he would kindly let me talk and, and you know, either bow out or disagree or... Well, I don't know about that, you know, because he's a good guy. But like a lot that. of those things I have, I have been interested in and I do... And now already already was like, yeah, I'm already clued into that one. So, yeah, yeah. And some that's, of it he and was. that's why you should some give of it everyone was. a chance to talk. Cause yeah. And some of it he was. And now it's like he's sending me shit. I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't even know about that. Right. Oh, shit. I didn't hear about that. And now he's like deep. He's gotten deep into it and he's starting to see it. And that gives me hope for a lot of people, you know, because. Over these years, people are like Jeremy, why do you care so much about this? Jeremy, why do you care? Why are you letting that affect your life? I'm like, it's affecting all of our lives, whether you know it or not. Subconsciously, well, if, it, if you or let it affect your life, you can let it affect your life in a good way, where you make change for yourself, Absolutely. and you just keep in, keep learning and keep in, informing your friends and family because that's all we can do. And and that's back to again what I said, you know, taking my suffering into my own hands as yeah. opposed to allowing, and that way, if something natural or unnatural does happen to me like when we were on the ocean and uh you were 
the voice of reason simultaneously as my mind said, don't be scared, bro. Be calm. You know, it's like, so when those things do happen at that point, we can check ourselves and be like, yo, man, I'm, a, I'm on, I'm, I'm in a ride that I only have so much. We have a lot of control over this ride. Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, a lot more control and a lot more power than what we're told from school, from our parents, from church, from doctors, from television. We have way more fucking power. The problem is, is a lot of the people that know about that power, they want to keep the power to themselves. Because if we all realize how much power we truly have, then these guys start to lose it. Which is what we're witnessing right now in 2020. Is, is you know, people like... My cousin Damon here waking up, and, uh, you know, he's not the only one. You know, my parents are starting to wake up. You know, a lot of people, lots of my friends are starting to wake up. Clients are hitting me up. People that I thought were dead fast asleep, they're starting to wake up to what's at play, what's going on, and, you know, hey. And that's that's refreshing, and that's why I've stuck with it for so many fucking years, dude. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Anything else? No, man. I think we're good. We're good, man. So, anyways, I'm going to try and book a train ticket out of this joint for a few days, and then I'm going to try and come back and uh, get my car in a few days. We'll see how that goes. Damon, go ahead and plug yourself if you wish. Your books. Your yeah, man. You guys can go check my website out at DamonCorso.com, or you can check out my most recent book, Discovering the John Muir Trail, and that's available on Falcon. Or, it's an awesome book. It's a really good book, guys. Poured my heart into it. Some really good stories, too. I had some, I've had some fun experiences out there. He won an award for a reason. And uh, shout out to my wife. I love you, Chrissy. And Ninja. oh, shout out to the Octoland server. Squish, squish. All right. Peace. We out. Thanks for listening, guys.